Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izzy I'm Caleb J. And Caleb, this is your 10th Oscar Sunday episode, my friend. Uh, you've done some some pretty big time movies here. Toy Story, Skyfall, Rosemary's Baby, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Jaws, Sounds of the Lambs, not bad. Toy Story 2, Get Out. Uh, here we're doing Roger Rabbit today, and you were also on a a unique episode, an, uh, an episode that came out on actual Oscar Sunday. So number 10 here, doing Roger Rabbit. Let's go ahead and just talk about this movie. And where, where did you guys first see it? Uh, we'll start with you, Caleb, this 1988 classic. This might be blasphemous to somebody. I didn't see it until I was in college. Um, totally fair. Shut up, Connor. Whatever, <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, uh, it was just not a movie in my parents' collection. They never really watched it, so I never saw it growing up. I was aware of it as I got as I got older, and I, you know, it was, you know, when I went to college, you know, it was at the time, I, it's crazy to think, when I went to college, at that time, it was Netflix, Hulu, and Prime, and that was, like, all I can really remember. Um, so it was on one of those three to stream, and I streamed it and instantly fell in love. I remember even texting my parents, being like, why did you never put this on when I was kid? This movie is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great movie. Yeah, it's a be- it's a beautiful movie. Uh, it definitely can, I'm sure, impact you know children in a serious way. But then you know, obviously, the humor is like for adults. So it's it's uh two birds with one stone there. Yeah, I forgot. <coughs> Sorry, when I was watching it this past time for the episode, I was like, wow, there's a lot of adult jokes in this that I forgot. And yeah. PG, what the hell? <laughs> Oh, so good. Connor, what, uh, I know you've been with this movie since you were probably like out the womb. So let's hear it. Yeah. If anybody like has, you know, been following these shows, they know how sacred Robert Zemeckis and his catalog is to me and my development as a film buff. Uh, you know, right next to Back to the Future was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, this delightful Disney Warner Brothers hybrid, like one of the few times ever where two competing studios like work together like that. I love that. And but it's also a very compelling film noir with murder and lust and revenge. And it is weird that this is PG considering all the death. Like and this, you know, was when there was a PG-13 rating. So it's weird that they went, you know, you got Mickey Mouse and murder happening at the same time. Yeah. But uh, it's it stayed with me because it's such a fun movie. There's so many little Easter eggs. It's such a really cool story. And the animation is amazing. The way this film is made is so cool and still looks seamless and i can't i mean at the time imagine this must have blown people away so i'm yeah I've, I've loved this film my entire life i'm so excited to do this today yeah i mean you hit you hit you hit a few things there that are like really important for why we're doing it on you know oscar sunday it was up for six oscars uh, and it won three at the 61st academy awards it also won a special achievement award for the animation direction and creation of the cartoon characters, because it's just seamless the way they, they're like shaking hands, you know, you got Bob Haskins and and Roger Rabbit, like shaking hands. And it's really crazy how, how well, how well they, you know, managed to, to pull all this off. And yeah, I mean, the, the noir stuff is cool. It's a cool touch. Uh, The, the humor is great. And you have a villain who's like Noah Cross from Chinatown, like in the middle of it, this evil guy who wants to run Los Angeles. And like, I love that. This time around, I just became obsessed with Christopher Lloyd's performance 
as Judge Doom. Um, I was like, this is like a great, great villain, a really well-written villain. And obviously Christopher Lloyd is the man who, you know, makes Back to the Future like so, so special. So like, man, just great stuff. And Zemeckis, uh, yeah, I know Connor, you've been kind of waiting for this for a while. So this is only the second uh, Zemeckis film we've ever done on any of our shows. And we're like, you know, 500 episodes in, if you combine everything, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy that we've kind of, you know, pumped the brakes. We've only done Back to the Future and, and this now. It's funny that you mentioned that Judge Doom reminds you of Noah Cross because the Cloverleaf stuff came out of an unproduced third Chinatown film that was never made. I so didn't know that. That's not yeah. an accident. That really like there's a Chinatown vibe to this movie because of that. And I I just love that. I didn't know that. That's cool as shit. Yeah, the whole time I was watching this time around, you know, it had been years for me since I'd seen this. Uh, I want to say I saw it for the first time at like around 11 or 12. And I liked it. I thought it was fun. You know, it's got a, it's got a good pace to it. It's only like an hour and forty minutes, and you you never you're never really bored. Uh, and then you have you know, at one point you know you have two of the most famous ducks to ever live, like playing piano next to each other. So like as a kid, as a kid, you're like, this is great. These are like characters that I'm really familiar with. And you have Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse flying through the air together. Uh, so all that works. But as as a as an adult now watching it, I just was like, this, this is, I like it better now. <laughs> uh, I didn't really know what to rate it. You know, like when I got letterboxed, I hadn't seen it in so long. So I gave it like three and a half stars, like a seven. And now watching it, I give it a nine, a nine out of 10. Like this is a great movie. So super excited to talk about it, give it some awards. Uh, but I do think uh, Robert Zemeckis is a guy that's worth like our time. Um, he's, he's a dude who's just, turned out some amazing movies uh you know he's got a best picture winner under his belt with forrest gump uh he won best director for that as well he was nominated for screenplay for uh, back to the future so you know his films are kind of in the the conscience of of hollywood for sure so i want to do uh since we have all three of us i want to do a you know zemeckis draft if you if you guys are down if you guys are prepared <laughs> for, for another draft we haven't we haven't done one of these since we did what jaws yeah, Spielberg draft. Yeah, that was our last one. Spielberg draft was the last one. So, all right, all right. So, you guys, you guys are prepared for that. I'll give the draft order here soon. But before we do that, I do want to hear what you guys have been getting into aside from Roger Rabbit. What else have you guys been watching? Um, let's see. You guys had uh, the Endless Love episode just come out on Friday for Beyond the Bad. Talk about doing two polar opposite '80s movies. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Why don't you take this one, Caleb? Ah, <laughs> oh, god i thought i was putting that behind me um no 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 i i i i wasn't on that episode so i need to hear a few thoughts Ah, oh, god if you so we we talked about quite a bit on the episode you know and like obviously you, you guys know me dramas are not like my go-tos not that i'm opposed to the genre or anything there are there are plenty i enjoy um i think i just like a good film a good storytelling right but um Especially romantic trauma. So that was already kind of against. I'm not a romantic trauma. Like, I don't like my notebook, dirge, all that. No. Um, but watching one that even like people who love that kind of stuff are like, this sucks to not fill <laughs> me with joy. <laughs> and when I went in to go watch it, but I sat through with some of the worst people that I had to watch for almost two hours. It is, I think, five minutes short of two hours. Um Christ. Yes, and some of the worst people, infuriating decisions, 
story, like a high school storyline. We kind of talked about a bit of or um, at one point he gets so not to see her for 30 days. And the kid just fucks it all up, of course, because he's a fucking teenager. That's the only thing in his dick, not his head. Well, not the right head. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I get tired of those storylines as I get older. I'm like, God, stop letting that ruin whatever is going on in your life. Like, stop it. Um, but it's just one horrendous decision made by every single character throughout the movie. And I... I think about maybe 30 minutes in, I just went like, fuck this movie and checked the time. So saw how much I had left and I was like, Oh God. I must say though, like that ended up being one of my favorite episodes we've ever done because of what we were able to unpack with that movie and also just rip it to shreds. Like we were not, I mean, like if Franco Zeffirelli wasn't dead, he'd come after us. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, yeah, it was a great episode. I told Connor, I was like, I had a lot of issues coming up with like the plot line and some other like stuff I do every week. So I'm like, what am I using for this damn movie? Um, even my question I do every week, I'm like, what the fuck do I ask? <laughs> Based <laughs> off this really <laughs> shitty romantic drama. So I went with something I thought was decent, ended up actually being probably one of the better questions that led to a real good conversation. Um, so somehow, like in a weird way, like that really bad movie that's not, you know, in my comfort zone per se, you know, really out of my comfort zone. Probably was one of the best episodes um, we've done and really dug up some shit that made me go, oh, this is why the film stayed in the 80s. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's, you know, that was episode 30. So that's pretty cool. You guys felt like you guys both feel like it was a good episode. Yeah, Uh, I think with this with this show, I've noticed like the worst the the worse the movie is, the more we have to to go through. And I've, I've just I've. I've enjoyed that journey. It's fun to watch horrific movies knowing that you're on, like you're about to just tear them apart. In a, in yeah. A setting. It's great. Yeah. You're not just doing it for the hell of it. You know, you're like, it's like, I get, going, to do a, yeah. it's like I get to do a weekly roast with, with one of my best friends. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That That's cool. Well, Caleb, aside from what sounds like a shit show, what else have you been watching? Uh, well, luckily much better stuff. Um, good. Yeah. I would hope. Uh, the season three premiere of Harley Quinn came on on Thursday. Um, so I watched, I think they, they, they dropped the first three episodes. I watched that great fucking start. Um, one of the best Batman references. I text Connor. <laughs> it's, they make a really solid Batman reference of something that I've been tired of seeing like every, even, you know, tangentially related Batman property. Um, Joker looking at you. Um, <laughs> but this one did it in a real funny way that made me go, oh, okay, that. That was good. Um, so real good start. Can we see the rest of the season on that one? Um, I I've been today alone. I've played so much Assassin's Creed Valhalla because I finally had some time. So I've been just digging deep into uh that. I um because they announced the the you know the X Men ninety seven, which is on a whim. I booted up the nineties X Men cartoon on disney plus and you know yeah it's definitely 90s but it's actually kind of entertaining um i'm definitely enjoying it so we'll, i'll probably get try to get through that whole thing in time for the new um sequel series we're doing and i'm really looking forward to uh watching predator i know we're recording on you know saturday so tomorrow when this episode airs i cannot wait to dig in my newly purchased 4k of uh predator and see how that bad boy looks on the Ooh. highest possible definition. Nice. That's fucking cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Connor, uh, what have you been watching, man? 
Well, I also watched uh, the Harley Quinn premiere. I, wa- I watched the first two episodes. I, I didn't watch three. I'm going to, I still have to watch that one, but it is hilarious. Um, and Endless Love got me thinking about another movie that had a very similar premise that I had never seen, but had access to, and that is 1996's Fear. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. Like, yeah. yeah, like his first high-profile gig. And I got to say, well done. Like, that was a, a decent flick, freaky, way too real. And he was terrifying. He was just the perfect amount of sadistic, psycho asshole. And I, I just thought he was, you know, terrifying. It was a really, really decent flick. Uh, William Peterson was was the dad. Reese Witherspoon was uh, his girlfriend, and it was just really good. I I'm surprised it had such a low review, like ratings these days. But uh, I dug that. It was I was right, Caleb. It is like the exact same plot as Endless Love. Just he's actually crazy, and people acknowledge it. Oh, so it's it's a better movie. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's that's what that should have been in a realistic <sighs> situation. <laughs> That's that's uh who's that directed by um um uh Foley James Foley James Foley yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah Foley Foley's got a wacky career yeah also please tell me that they were all you know of age eighteen and older in that movie no she's he she's like sixteen and he's like twenty five talking about oh, yeah. actors oh Wait. the actors yes the characters no. Yeah. I'll take actors over characters, whatever. Well, there weren't any like super aggressive, actual like fully naked sex scenes. It was just you know simulated under the sheets, like they could easily act with their clothes on, movies, oh, okay, like good. scenes. Well, There's no, no creep off off screen going like get naked and show me your ass like that didn't happen. Pinching her toes. Yeah, no. Ugh. Um, in addition to that, I also watched a uh, a western from 1966 called The Professionals which uh, I had very high hopes for. It was uh, it's Burt Lancaster and Lee Marvin and uh, Claudia oh. Cardin- Cardinale from Once Upon a Time in the West. So I had, I had high expectations. Oh, God. What a cast. <laughs> that one's on Netflix uh, if you want to watch it. And it wasn't bad. It was just a little dull. And the villain is a Mexican band- bandit played by Jack Palance in a oh, big black mustache. And I was like, uh, no, 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 no. So that's going in my thesis. <laughs> and um, There you go. Yeah. But, you know, Bert and Lee together was just really good. A lot of this dialogue is kind of like just pithy sayings and like old West shit. There's not a lot of like everyone's kind of fully developed when the film starts. So there's not really anywhere to go. Uh, I gave it a seven because I did enjoy it for the most part, but I, I, I wanted more. Yeah, that happens. Classic Hollywood shit. Uh, casting Palance as, uh, you know, someone who, he shouldn't be playing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Of all people, Jack Palance, really? Yeah, and Carl Grisham I, as a bandito, and he's great. You know, I love that guy, but like, come on, you know, just <laughs> fucking silly. So, uh, my question about Fear would be: is w- w- is that like an interesting double feature with Boogie Nights to watch a little Marky Mark ninety six ninety seven? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know the beginnings of Mark Wahlberg's film career, and. You know, you don't have one without the other, I think. Like, you don't have Boogie Nights if he didn't do Fear. And, yeah, I think that's a great double feature. Probably pretty so, long, but, yeah, good. Yeah, well, yeah, that's okay. I'm fine with that. Now, why has Mark not done more interesting stuff like that? Now now he's just like, I got to be the good guy. I got to be fucking, you know, <laughs> guy from Boston with a chip on his shoulder. Like, 
maybe a cough maybe you know like what why doesn't he why doesn't he do more yeah i know it's money but like but like do do one for you one for me you know like like come on man i wish he did more more stuff like with interesting characters there's money but also he recently uh found god in a big way so that's also been influencing his career big time so i think you know safe bets and religion combined to kind of take all the fun out of mark Wahlberg. Yeah, he's not he's not gonna play Eddie Adams from Torrance anymore. You know, that's not yeah. happening. Yeah. yeah, he's condemned Boogie Nights in recent years, said like I never should have done that movie, which is bullshit. Yeah, I want to point out he's saying that, but keep in mind his past before he was famous. The guy was in the guy did a lot of racist hate crimes in his youth. All yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like, dude, there's no amount of hiding behind Jesus that's gonna take away what you did to some kids in your youth. Yeah. Like, you still got to answer for that one day there, but and you doing a Jesus movie recently that Father Stew isn't going to help. Yeah. <laughs> Boogie Nights. Um, I did. I am looking forward. It's not a part of my what I've been doing this week. So it comes on actually as we're recording tonight. Um, but they brought back a new season of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, they've been doing a revival series. So I don't know if you guys remember that on Nickelodeon. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, they've been doing a revival series, and the new season just came on tonight. So I'll definitely be watching that this weekend because um, I have definitely oh. been supporting the return of Are You Afraid of Dark? Yeah, I might check that out too. That's a good call, good shout out. Um, top. I'm I'm having like flashbacks to my to my youth of <laughs> of watching that now. That's cool. Um, good, good shit, good shit. I I've uh, personally been on like a just an '80s fucking tangent um this past few days. Of course, after we recorded last week, the next day I went and saw Nope. Fucking loved it. Thought it was great. Um, God, I just have been thinking about it ever since. I want to go see it again. I feel like it rejuvenated my like desire to go to the theater, which is really cool. Heading into the fall, where we got a lot of a lot of interesting stuff coming out, um, and I found myself at times like with that movie uh, in the theater looking at different parts of the screen like my head was turning you know what i mean you're like looking at the different clouds and i was just like i I love this feeling i love this fucking feeling of like an adventure a wild sci-fi horror movie uh so that was great i'm really glad i got to see that um and then after that uh, i got home and i watched allied Mm. uh 2016 robert zemeckis film because i wanted to watch more zemeckis this week because i haven't seen all of them so i was trying to knock out some that i hadn't seen I liked that one. That was fine. Um, it may show up in my draft if it uh, goes a certain way, but we'll see. Uh, I thought I, I thought Brad Pitt was 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 great, and uh, you know, is I don't regret watching it, but I'm probably not going to watch it again. You know, it's one of those. Uh, and then my '80s run started. I watched Walker from 1987, one of my favorite Ed Harris performances right away. Um, it's an Alex Cox movie about uh, William Walker who was the president of Nicaragua for a couple of years in the fifties. Uh, fascinating stuff. I uh, didn't really know much about that story. So um, that was, that was, that was neat. It was like really out there. It makes me want to watch more Alex Cox movies. Uh, then I watched Romancing the Stone. Another Zemeckis film, 1984. I, I liked that one. Thought it was, thought it was decent. Uh, I liked the two leads together, you know, Kathleen Turner and uh, Michael Douglas thought they were good. Uh, it's good little adventure. Um, and uh, yeah, another Zemeckis to knock off the list. And then I watched uh, three movies from 1988. Of course, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Awesome movie. Can't wait to talk about it more. Give it some awards later. Uh, then I watched Working Girl, which was up for Best Picture that year. Mike Nichols movie. 
I was a little, little underwhelmed by that one because I was like, holy shit, you know, Harrison Ford, 1988. Hell yeah. Uh, the guy looks amazing. Sigourney Weaver's in it as well. And Melanie Griffith. Um, there's some funny moments, but overall I thought the, the tone was just, I didn't, it didn't make much sense to me. And uh, I was a little let down, but it's, it's, it's fine. It's worth watching. Uh, and then I watched Mississippi Burning, which Christ almighty, that's, that's a movie right there. Um, also up for best picture, 1988. So uh, I rewatched that one. I, I, I saw it not that long ago and I want to just check it out again. Cause I like watching stuff from the year we're going to be talking about. Um, I mean, it's an Alan Parker movie. The guy's British and like to tell, you know, true stories from different parts of the world. And uh, you know, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe, Francis McDormand, they're all unbelievable in this movie. Uh, at times I do think it's a bit tone deaf. Uh, it's got its issues with, uh, you know, the way it represents black uh, black people in the movie, I think, is is just a little kind of like a little whitewashed. I'll say, you know, they're like, let's just focus on Hackman, Defoe, and and McDormand rather than the issue really at hand. But performances are amazing, and there are some amazing scenes in that movie. So uh, it's been a good week, man. I've you know, Connor knows me. I'm the '80s are uh, a decade I want to watch more of. So I. I used this time wisely and knocked out five movies from the eighties this past week. So I've uh, been great, but the best thing that I saw this past week was definitely Nope. And then this new episode of better call Saul that was last <laughs> Monday, Jesus Christ. Um, I just, <laughs> I don't even know what to say anymore about, about what, what Vince Gilligan has created. It's just, I'm just one of those people who might just have my blinders on and I don't know what's going on. And, it's like all hail Vince Gilligan when those, you know, that show is going on and in, in, in my house watching, you know, the lights off. I'm just totally blown away by what he's been able to do over the past now 14 years with this story uh, in Albuquerque. So um, absolutely loving the direction that this, this season's going. There's only three episodes left. Uh, so I'm super excited for tomorrow night to watch the new one. It's, it's the most excited I've been about a TV show since probably probably breaking bad so it's a good feeling and um i'm yeah i'm super super amped about that because that 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 episode if you're a big fan of saul you know it was all about gene uh gene uh in in omaha (laughs) and there's just some amazing scenes it was filmed all in black and white just a really really strong episode and uh continues to to show me why i'm so excited every monday to to get home and watch that uh but yeah that's what i've been up to and Sounds like we're kind of all over the board, which I love. Um, Robert Zemeckis is a guy who's all over the board, my friends. Um, his career is really fascinating. Connor, before we started recording, you mentioned how like there's this clear divide from probably, you know, I think you could probably say that Castaway is like the bridge. Um, he's working, of course, with Tom Hanks in that movie. But there's a clear, a clear change in kind of tone for him. Uh, as the 90s pass and the 2000s go forward, and especially in the 2010s, just a really fascinating director. And at this point, he's 70 years old. And, you know, we don't know how much longer he's going to be working and uh, showing us his work. You know, uh, he has Pinocchio coming out, I believe, later this year or next year. And, we, you know, we don't know how much more we're going to get from him. So I feel like it, it, it's, it, you know, it's, he's deserving of getting kind of a draft and, and undivided attention. Yeah, he's a guy who's just, you know, been kind of telling his own stories his whole career, which I really appreciate. 
he's definitely got a a tone to his films that shifted. I think after Forrest Gump is really when it kind yeah, of yeah yeah Castaway's like oh okay this is not yeah this is not um you know Death Becomes Her <laughs> yeah <laughs> stuff starts getting a little bit more serious and then he's got that animation like weird CGI you know Uncanny Valley animation era and then a series of bizarre biopics and now he's doing like remakes so it's a uh, it's weird. There's there's like five or six different stages to Robert Zemeckis, and I, you know, mine is my favorite's the '80s run. To me, like nothing beats that. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm kind of with uh, Connor. Where it, I didn't realize so I was looking up like you know his run directed stuff and what I've seen, um, and I was like, wow, most of most of what I've seen has been like his '80s more fun stuff, um, yeah. and then a couple of his newer things. I have actually seen all of his like his CG era stuff. And then I guess as far as series, I've seen Flight, you know. Um, yeah, really Flight. I love um, Flight. <laughs> I was really good. Um, I do have a wonder. Have you guys seen the trailer for Del Toro's Pinocchio coming out this year? Ah, I still I forgot to watch that. No, I have I was, not. I was like, I, have, so, I haven't either. Oh my 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 lads, watch <laughs> well, well, that wait. wonderful teaser. Wait, so there's a Zemeckis Pinocchio film yep, and a Del Toro. It. Yeah. That's what Zemeckis, I'm yeah, he's he's remaking Disney's Pinocchio, and then Dottoro is doing his own Pinocchio. Why? Why? Why do we have both of these? Uh, like, honestly, <laughs> look, I've seen the teaser for Dottoro's Pinocchio. It does look really good. It's clay. It's uh, it's animated. It was like claymation or whatever. Like the 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 uh, Laka Laka. How do you say their their name? Entertainment. The guys who did Coraline and Pernal yeah, and stuff. It's, it's like that stop kind motion of- type. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like that. It has a stellar voice cast. Uh, Ewan McGregor off the bat. I'm a, I'm in already. Um, so it's it looks like it looks really good. And as it's, I'm assuming the Mexis is a remake of the Disney film. Yeah. Okay, then yeah, Dottoro wins. I'm I'm seeing his before I watch a fucking like action uh, remake uh, of Disney. <laughs> I'm the only reason I would watch it is because it's Zemeckis to just be like, yeah, I want to watch another Zemeckis movie. And it's got Hanks and Joseph Gordon Levitt. But like, I don't need to see that at all. I'll wait. I'll probably wait. I'll probably wait till I'm so bored that I'm like, all right, yeah, let's watch Pinocchio uh, live action. I just like, I know I've talked about it before. I'm t- so tired of them live action, their damn cartoons, but you're telling the same exact story or they take out all the songs. Or remix them. They wouldn't put the ones we want in there. Like I think they. So it's like, no. I'll just watch the cartoon that still holds up. Still has great song. Well, holds up in most cases. Still has great songs. And call a day. And then Dotoro is giving me Pinocchio, but a different his version, his story of it, not even based off that. So yeah, I'll definitely watch Dotoro's before I watch Zemeckis. Zemeckis. No offense to Zemeckis, but I'm just watching Dotoro's first. I yeah, doubt it's yeah. you know with Zemeckis like his last film was a remake of The Witches so he's not yeah. exactly you know his, his heart's not really in these projects I I don't think so it's, it's yeah. it seems like a work for hire situation so Pinocchio and, I doubt will feel like a Zemeckis it's gonna feel like more of Disney's conveyor belt bullshit and his he's just sitting in the chair like yeah that looks good yeah yeah <laughs> like I could probably direct a remake of Pinocchio because the people who's actually calling the shots here are the producer suits sitting behind me. What a shame, you know? What a shame. And that that Welcome to Marwin movie just got totally fucking annihilated when it came out from uh 2018 that movie starring Steve Carell. And I just didn't watch it because of how how bad the backlash was. So yeah, he's on a 
three film run here. Like, what what are we doing? You know, and and the question could be before we get to drafting, the question could be, does this affect his legacy? You know, do you count it against him as a filmmaker? Obviously, he's given us so much great stuff. But like, imagine, imagine, you know, the the run, you know, a guy that we all love, like, like a Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Imagine if he did this, like, would we be like, fuck you, dude? Like, that's what are you doing? You're going way out of your wheelhouse to do something for what you know um it's 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 frustrating it's hard to kind of like figure out how to how to count it do do you want to tackle that question first connor or me sure yeah sure um well first off i don't think he owes us a goddamn thing i think robert zemeckis is you know he made his masterpieces he won his oscar i think he's just you know he's good and i'm grateful for what i got so yeah, whatever I get too. from now on is just gravy. If it's great, awesome. If not, it's no skin off my ass. Uh, okay. Caleb, how do you see it? I, I'm honestly, I pretty much back Connor on this one. I don't think it tarnishes his legacy. I think it's a you know, just unfortunately he whenever he leaves this world, right? Unfortunately, his last couple of films go out with a wimple, right? Uh, a whimper, right? But like Connor's saying, like he's he's made his impact already, he's made his legacy on cinema. And I don't think even with these films, that's going to take away what he's done. You know what I mean? Like, for example, two examples I have one Oscar worthy one, probably not so much going back to some of my horror roots, but on the bigger one, like James Cameron, right? I've been very known since Titanic onward. I just don't think his films are that strong, but I don't take away what he's done already for things like aliens and Terminator one and two. And like his place in cinema and the legs he created with those is still there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there I say someone like, for me, Rob Zombie, right? Yeah. I, I think he's struggled a lot in recent years. So a lot of times studio meddling has been like the case with a lot of his films. Um, but at the same time, in the world of horror, he's given us House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. And Devil's Rejects is considered one of the most modern classic horrors of all time. Like it's, everyone knows what that movie is. So like, regardless of what he's done now, he still made his impact. He made his legacy. He put his stamp in there and that's not going away so i mean obviously i'd love for all these directors to be like tarantino or someone that just have a string of hit after hit after hit but unfortunately that's not the case and i'll i'll take what they have given us yeah like Uh, yeah yeah applying that to like actors you know like for robert de niro does little fockers erase taxi driver no 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 but it but it happened (laughs) it did happen and he's got to live with that yeah and we do too we do too. Like, like that's why I, I hold Daniel Day Lewis to such a high standard because he didn't do that. Never, never once did he even think about that. He never once was like, "I'm going to take a paycheck gig. I'm just going to do this because this is my job." He was like, "No, I'm going to like create. I'm going to create art. I'm going to do the best I can with what I'm given, and leave the rest." You know, and like he 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 wouldn't appear in a movie for four years because he's like, nothing is interesting enough to me like go out there and do i think there's like for me there's value to that and i think like would you rather have high volume 20 to 30 movies made or would you rather have lower volume tarantino paul thomas anderson david fincher 9 10 11 movies that all slap and hit hard and mean a lot to our culture i've always i understand both sides and does it i've always preferred the guy who's got a better batting average and that doesn't mean that I think like David Fincher's peak is higher than Zemeckis's peak, 
like i don't i don't think there's an art like i think of course like for me like zodiac is the better movie than back to the future but that's just my opinion i don't think that back to the future is a is like his peak is his peak he's amazing like back to the future is so important to our culture and Mm -hmm. so massive for 80s hollywood and what's what what comes after it same with roger rabbit but i would rather not have the welcome to marwins and the witches and those on the back end i'd rather him just stop (laughs) (laughs) i get that i understand i understand you know enjoying a, a small quantity of really good films from a filmmaker but i also think it's a little unfair to compare these filmmakers like this because they're not all in it for the same reasons. They're not all in it. You know, art is what they consider masterpiece is very different. Like what Zemeckis considers a success, I'm sure is vastly different from what Paul Thomas Anderson considers a success. Correct. And they've all got different reasons for being here. You know, sometimes it's sometimes, you know, you got to take a work for hire to pay, to pay for that new car. <laughs> and One, uh, sorry, yeah, say, like what Ethan Hawke recently, you know, the headlines, of course, try to misconstrue what he was actually saying. But, you know, Ethan Hawke was saying, like, you know, when he did Moon Knight, you know, he needed to put, food, you know, he acts. It's his, he was talking about, he goes, I act. It's my job. It's what puts a roof over my head, you know, food on the table. My For bills sure. are paid. So, like, I and like I'm, I'm, I definitely get where you're coming from. And like some absolute respect to the ones that do turn out a small quantity, but they're just hitting every single time. But at the same time, I understand some of these actors or directors are like, hey, you know, this is a job. It pays the bills. We got to, you, know, you know, we got to do something. So I sometimes I get it. And like I said, sometimes like, you know, like in the case of Rob Zombie, like if you look at like a lot of the ones that don't hit, a lot of it has to do with the studio stepping in, not funding his stuff. Like Correct. insane yeah. things happening that have constantly, I mean, the whole shitstorm has been happening with the monsters and him setting the record straight on like, you know, this was meant to go. I, you know, he hasn't gotten the backup from the studio for a while. So it's like every situation is different with every person, you know? Well, yeah, also, for, like, for sure, for sure. Out of pure selfishness, if we don't get the occasional welcome to Marwin, then Caleb doesn't have a show. Like, <laughs> there's a place for shit films. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> if, if every movie was a masterpiece, no movie's a masterpiece. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. And I think you guys understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. As far as far yeah. as legacy, as far as legacy goes, for me, I do count it against him. I do think like Zemeckis, if I'm adding up an average of all of his movies, if you take away the past five or six, the average would be way higher than what it is with those. That's fine. Like you said, you know, he's he's got he's got to pay the bills. He's got to do his job. I just wish, you know, the job was a little bit, was a little bit better or, 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 you know, like Caleb said, maybe I wish the studios maybe gave him more freedom, you know, or I don't know what, you know, every movie is different. You know, movies are hard. A good movie is hard to make. Also with Zemeckis, especially like, I mean, he peaked so early, you know, his eighties are so loaded with amazing films. And then he wins best director in the nineties, wins a best picture for Forrest Gump. It's like, where do you go from there? Yeah. I wonder if he's looking for something to kind of, capture that magic again because it's he yeah. hasn't had anything since that's gotten to that point yeah so I, just, I wonder I, if he's just in search of a new vision this is this is why steven spielberg is the fucking man <laughs> you know he's still from you know i mean after jaws he could have been like i don't know what to do instead <laughs> he's like 20 years later he's like no i just made another one of the best creature features adventure movies to ever exist 
<laughs> I'm the man. You're you're right though. Zemeckis, he was in his, you know, he was born in 1951. So he's in his 30s during that Back to the Future run, you know, that used cars, Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit. And then he's 43 years old when he wins Best Director. Like that's young. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you're 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 right. I think I think he's a fascinating guy. Is my my main point is that he's yeah. a fascinating filmmaker. And I do I do want to give him some props. You know, let's let's pick some movies that we we like. Um that we can talk about here for a little bit uh, before we dig really deep into uh, Roger Rabbit and the 61st Academy Awards. Um, when we did the Jaws draft, uh, the order <laughs> the order was Caleb, Connor, and then myself. That's what the order is again, my friends. <laughs> I, God, I, damn. I, 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 I randomized it. You know, there's only three of us, so there's only so many options, but that's what it is again. So uh, it is, it is going to be a snake draft again. And, uh, you know, you guys, Connor texted me earlier today and was like, "All right, like, what, like, what's, what, like, what is that? What's the point?" Because I think, I think last time I threw that, that was like a curveball to you guys, um, and that's because I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge sports fan, and sports drafts are always, always snake draft, and I've kind of brought that sports passion of mine over to this podcast, um, and it's, it's a way for it to be more fair to the person who gets the last pick, and vice versa. So. For example, Caleb, you'll go first. Connor, you'll go second. I'll go third. And then I will go again, fourth, Connor, fifth, Caleb, sixth. Because if Caleb, if we went straight draft, Caleb would get the first pick and the fourth pick. And that's like, well, well I mean, you know, he, he gets to kind of, you know, have his cake and, eat, you know, eat it too, all that jazz. So it just makes more sense to do a snake draft for, for like, especially for like, you know, um, I believe there's 21 films here that we have to choose from. Yes, 21. So 20, not, you know, take away Pinocchio, just 20. So there's not, you know, there's not a ton to choose from. And we all need to kind of like be able to get some shit we like. So that's the way the cookie crumbles. But uh, Caleb, you, you have the first pick, my friend, and you can select whenever you feel like it. All right. Um, I don't think I'm messing with Connor's plan here. Cause I'm actually going to go with Forrest Gump for my first pick. Oh, Interesting. Huh. Uh, okay. Yeah, I I'm kind of shocked. <laughs> I, why is that? Sh- do I need, do you, let me explain. <laughs> uh, no, no, I no, I just didn't think it'd be the first pick. I knew it was going to go sort of early, but I didn't think it'd be the first pick. So explain your passion for Forrest Gump. So this may have been like one of my first Zemeckis films. Mm, I was very same. late to Back to the Future, very late to your friend Roger Rabbit, as we talked about. Um. So this is one of my early ones I saw of this. And, you know, I know it's been getting, like, some more recent kind of, like, backlash from people coming into, like, um, was it, like, saccharine and all that stuff? Um, But with that said, I still really like it. I find it to be a really good film. One of Tom Hanks's uh, better performances, in my opinion. Just so many iconic, like, lines that have lasted from that film. You know, the life is like a box of chocolates. You know, like, and yep. it's like, yeah, you could argue it's too feel good, but God damn, if that movie just make me feel good when I watch it. Minus the fact that he does not need to be with Cheney. She is terrible to him. As I've yeah. gotten older, I'm like, God, Forrest, dude, she's terrible to you. Real piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with that said, you know, I do really like it. I do enjoy watching this film and have a lot of fun with it. Um, so yeah, Forrest Gump. That's okay. great. Dude. Forrest Gump's a great movie. It really is. It's a it's a wonderful movie. It makes me cry. It makes me laugh. It's delightful. 
I just when I compare it to what it was up against for Best Picture, that's when it, there's a there's a conversation. But in as a movie of of its own, it's wonderful. It's a great movie. Yeah, that being Pulp Fiction and Shawshank fucking Redemption, you know. Uh, yeah, tough. you tell tough. me those two movies. Yeah. yeah. The fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Not just not just beat it, but like ran that ceremony, like dominated that ceremony. Uh, Shawshank got nothing. Pulp got screenplay, and Gump won like seven. Okay, yeah. now, now I now I understand. At first, I was like, "Am I the only one?" It seems like a lot of people come out to Forrest Gump now, but okay, I get it. Yeah, great. It's a great no, film, yeah. but compared to those two, fuck me. Yeah, yeah, it's t- <laughs> it's a it's a tough beat. Uh, no, Forrest Gump is good, and it is like it's a kind of at this point you know an american staple i'd say you know you got the bubba gumps all over the goddamn country and people 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 just really respond to this movie um you bubba (laughs) yeah i've i've never been like a huge fan of this one but probably because because i knew going into watching it like the first or second time i saw it going into it i knew it beat my my beloved pulp fiction and shawshank so like i that's my fault you know that's my fault for holding a grudge yeah. against it but it, like connor said on its own it's a pretty good movie pretty pretty rewatchable pretty fun you know can make you cry uh, and, tom, and tom hanks is you know he's just in the 90s tom hanks was the king so when he, when he hands lieutenant dan the damn ice cream i got ice cream for you lieutenant dan <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic yeah. I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. How do you not? How does your heart not break? <laughs> I still do that. That uh, like when supposedly Elvis is at their house, right? I still do that, that weird dance that he does with his legs. Uh, that little little child Forrest Gump. I still do that. Like you know, in my if nobody's watching, I'm like oh, I'm gonna do that dance. You know, <laughs> I think I've always thought that part's really funny. Um, and that's uh, that's uh, his mom is uh, Sally Field, right? Yeah, yeah, so I I do like that 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 whole bit. Um, Connor, you got the second pick, and I know what you're doing. Mine, 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 mine. Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Need I say uh, more? I mean, we've done an entire episode on how much I like worship the ground this film walks on. It's my all-time favorite. Nothing's ever going to change that. And there you go. Listen to episode. I think it was 25 or 20. No, 20. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to episode 20 to hear me just rant and rave. It's it's the it's my favorite movie ever. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the episode where we started doing awards for the movies. I, I think. I think we started doing that with Hamlet. Oh, you're right. Hamlet was like 16 or 17. Yeah. You're right. I you're wish right, it had right. been any other movie that we started doing that. But you know, you should have just ran with it, so we could be like, "Yeah, Back to the Future was the first." <laughs> I can't. I'm so, they can fact check that shit. I'm sorry. A <laughs> hundred episodes ago, almost. Uh, yeah, crazy. Yeah, I'll never forget doing that episode. I came to your your uh, I came to y'all's house. Yeah, we like we recorded that in person because it was it was a special special moment to to talk about that film and um, it's it's the kind of movie that you know we could redo. You know, um, it's it's got so much going for it. It's one of the staples of the '80s, and uh, yeah, Connor, I've always respected it even more because I know how much you care about it and. I, I really want to go see this in theaters with you. I think that'd be such a cool, cool experience. I've seen it in theaters three separate times. It's playing at Draft House randomly. So next time they yeah. have one, I will drag you to it myself. Yeah, just kidnap me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay. I didn't. Okay. So I thought, I thought 
when I saw Caleb with the first pick, I was like, okay, he's going to be nice. He's going to give Connor back to the future. I thought, Caleb, I thought you were going to take Roger Rabbit. So I will take Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my this, plan is disrupted. Yeah. Uh, this is my second favorite Zemeckis film behind Back to the Future. They're both pretty much right next to each other, though. Um, Christ almighty. You know, it really it made me rethink kind of like my 1988 like pantheon of movies. So I was like, okay, is Roger rabbit like in my top three or four favorite movies from that year? Um, so this is a, this is cool to have an episode and, and you know, you feel that set type of way about the film. Um, so I'll take that and I'll go, I'll go fast forward. Let's see. To 2012. I'll take flight. Um, take flight. Love this. Love this movie. Yeah. Take flight. Uh, one of my favorite Denzel performances for sure. He's just putting on a clinic in that movie. When I saw it, um, I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it shortly after um, me and my dad watched it and we were like wondering who directed it, you know? And I was like, Robert Zemeckis? <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? The last movie he does before this is A Christmas Carol, you know? And then he does Flight and it, it is, this is a, an adult movie i'll say and uh you know it was up 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 for some oscars and whatnot so uh it's a movie that you know we will have kind of in the spotlight at some point through through an episode whether we talk about denzel or 2012 or or you know obviously right here zemeckis so uh yeah i'm gonna go ahead and take that that's kind of my favorite of the newer zemeckis films uh so i'll take an 80s and i'll take a newer one and back to you connor um I am going to take Death Becomes Her. Yeah, that was that was the other one I was thinking about. Great. I, <laughs> my upbringing involved uh, five specific uh, Zemeckis films, and it was the three Back to the Futures, Roger Rabbit, and Death Becomes Her. Uh, this is such an odd movie, and even more odd that you consider like Meryl Streep took time out of her you know, yeah. being an icon to play a bad actress <laughs> and uh, her going up against Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis. It's such a fun little movie. It's my favorite Bruce Willis performance ever. And it's just the story of, you know, vain assholes trying to live forever and the consequences therein. It's, you know, it's a great LA movie. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Just such a, a fun movie. Um, I can't wait to talk about it on, on one of our shows at one visual effect so we can do it here. But it really does have a filmgasm vibe. So it might, yeah. might go there. You never know. But uh, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, yeah. Yeah, complete genre bender. Like fantasy, horror, comedy. Yeah, so uh, I, I think that's perfect for filmgasm. Yeah. Good um, pick. Good pick. Caleb, uh, you got two in a row. So you can kind of, oh. you know, you got you got a lay of the land here. Five films have been taken. Now you can kind of kind of play play your draft here. You know what? The next, my next two picks. I'm only going to say both of them because they kind of are the same type of film. They're his Christmas animated films, The Polar Express and A Christmas Carol. Hell yeah! You are, you are not awesome. taking the avenue I expected you to take at all. Neither. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is great. I love how I'm just like trumping you guys right now. Um, so, uh, full disclosure, I absolutely adore Christmas specials with a passion outside of horror films. I didn't know that. I, I yeah. <laughs> I'm just up, now finding out about this. 
I don't talk about it a lot, all right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, you know, and every year, you know, obviously outside of things like, you know, a Christmas story, I grew up watching, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, and then also the Rake and Bass stuff like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. I my my mom loved that stuff, so I grew up watching it and I really love it too. Um you know, the year without Santa Claus is like one of my all-time favorite Christmas specials of all time. I fucking adore that movie. And all the music in it is wonderful. Um uh Christmas on the Fourth Child, whatever it is, where they have to look for uh New Year's like baby or something like that. I forget the whole plot, but it's 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 a favorite of mine. I I have to relook it up, but I, I love it to death. I just I think that is such a lovely era of filmmaking that is gone now and i wish it would come back and um seeing some mechas put his kind of own stamp on it and yeah you could argue the uncanny i know it gets a little weird sometimes with his his animation style but like i've always adored the polar express i think it's a great christmas film i love to watch it every year and uh with christmas carol it's one of my favorite takes actually on the story as we all know it's been adapted god knows how many times I'm, it's like up there at Tracklin and frankenstein stuff just adapted constantly and whereas I really found that goddamn George C. Scott one that my mom loved to death so boring as a kid. As a kid, I need to watch it as an adult, but as a kid, it bored the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember when we decided to watch this one one year, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, Jim Carrey, you know, because I'm like, I love Jim Carrey. And watching this one, I liked it. I like that, it, you know, obviously he doesn't change much from the story, but even for a kid's film, he goes there at times, like when he gets to like the... Uh, ghost of you know christmas you know the future ghost and it just it gets horror out of nowhere in that scene and it it gets terrifying and i just i really like what he does with it and yeah these are two i enjoy watching every year for christmas interesting i that that's such a interesting fact you know uh i imagine you like with the fire going and you know you're making like s'mores and you have your michael myers mask on watching a christmas carol <laughs> i fucking love this shit <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, don't get me wrong. Like, I watch, you know, uh, Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night every year, but then I'm like, okay, let me put on Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, that, that's exactly what I'm imagining. <laughs> that's amazing. Connor, you had no idea about this, huh? I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know you love Christmas movies so much, man. I would, yeah, that's great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he is human after all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh jesus that is fucking great uh which Um, one do you like which one do you like more caleb polar express or christmas carol like which one's better to you polar express i've I've been with it longer i just i I love it so much well yeah that came out when we were uh how old you're you're older than us right yeah i'm 29 29 so yeah so you you were 10 or yeah around 10 10, 11 my birthday's in december it's December 16th. So like, it's always okay. big when stuff gets released. It's like, eh, yeah. Out. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. And Connor and I, we're both the same age. So yeah, we are you know, Polar Express, when I saw it in theaters, I was like fucking masterpiece. You know, I was nine, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. You know? Um, and I, I've, I've seen it on the big screen since then. Like maybe it was like right before COVID, like in 2019. And I was like, man, this movie, I love this movie. So yeah, I've always, I've always enjoyed the Polar Express. I was going to save it for later, but goddamn, uh, <laughs> bad strategy on my part. Apparently, <laughs> we, we have a um, an outdoor uh, 
movie screen that we uh, we put out out at our property at my family's place, and we have a projector and we watch outdoor movies. Um, every Christmas we watch the Polar Express, and we do like we do hot chocolate, and we just have like, yeah, a delightful. Yeah. Night. I've been trying to get you and Brianna up to that for a while now. <laughs> I, yeah, we like that movie. Yeah, it's it's such a delightful film. It's so Christmassy. It's so feel good. It's so joyous and wonderful. And honestly, the animation like has never bothered me though. The eyes thing. I know they're not real. Like it, once you just accept, I'm not watching real people. There is no problem. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I don't really give a shit. Yeah, yeah. But, I, uh, I saw young enough. I haven't cared all these years. So yeah, it's to me. It's a movie that just makes me think of my grandma. Uh, I haven't seen a Christmas Carol yet, but I I plan to this Christmas. It's yeah, really, it's really good in my opinion. Yeah, so. yeah. You yeah, you'll like it, Connor. I think I think you'll dig that one. My best, my favorite version of that story is still Scrooge. I don't think anything's topping that. But uh, I'm oh, sure I'll enjoy well, yeah. Yeah, Scrooge. Yeah. Scrooge can't be. Yeah, can't be talked. Uh, and that's also that's a 1988 one as well. Uh, that just oh man, you know <laughs> that movie's so so fucking good. Um, so yeah, I don't think you're gonna be like, oh yeah, this is better than yeah. Bill I'm, Bill Murray. But <laughs> I like Jim Carrey. I like Zemeckis. I'm sure I'll, I'll enjoy. It. Well, it's also it's a, not only is it Jim Carrey, but uh, Gary Oldman is a uh, wow. voice in it. Oh, uh, Colin, Colin Firth, Steve Valentine. Yeah, it's got a cool cast. Yeah, he has yeah. a he gets a stellar cast for it. I'm just I'm yeah. just glad you guys now learned something about me today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I feel good right now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, that is wonderful. Uh, well, all right. So you have Caleb has Forrest Gump, Polar Express, and A Christmas Carol. How just a jolly group of films there, <laughs> Connor. <laughs> you, Connor, your pick whenever you're ready. Um, give me Back to the Future Part Two. I, I didn't think I was. I didn't think I was getting the sequels. <laughs> I, I didn't think I didn't think you were gonna tackle more than one of these bad boys. I thought you would just kind of leave it, leave well, it alone. I was I gonna in, leave it alone out of just like let's get more uh, more titles out there. I had intended to uh, like my plan didn't involve those because I figured one of you guys was were, like one or both of you were gonna snake those, but since they're still on the table. I, I love those movies just as much. So yeah, yeah, well, fucking take it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And part part two is great. Part two is fantastic. So it's no slouch. I won't say too much about part two, but I will say something I noticed upon a recent watch of it that I never noticed before. In the scene where Marty McFly goes to Biff Tannen's Pleasure Paradise for the first time and realizes Biff has taken over the town, and he's watching that little info like video about Biff. There is a sign on the door that says smoking required. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's Perfect. great. <laughs> to, to come in here, you got to be puffing. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So you guys both have three films. I have two. So I'll be taking my last two picks here. Then we'll go back the other way. Okay, this is kind of tough now. Um, for sure, I'm going to take what I think is the best movie available, which is Castaway from 2000. Uh, really like that movie. I want I want Mr. Tom Hanks on my side at least a little bit. Uh, you know Wilson, Wilson, and all that all that jazz. Uh, the movie is is quite long. You know, it's like two and a half hours, but it it's, it packs a punch, and you know it's some of the best Tom Hanks stuff for me because he's you know completely isolated and just kind of doing his own thing and kind of showing, showing his range as a performer, a uh, good story, you know, got great cinematography and good direction from Zemeckis. So 
I do think that movie should be taken at some point, so I'll get it on my side. Ah, this last pick is hard. Um, admittedly, what's available that I've seen, I'm not, I'm not like in love with. You know, I really regret that I wasn't able to see used cars from 1980 before we did this draft because I feel like I'd love that movie. Um, 1980, you know, it's got Kurt Russell in it, Jack Warden. Um, that's his second film after I Want to Hold Your Hand from 1978. So I really wanted to see that. It's just not really available on anything. Um, oh. I didn't feel like renting it. Uh, Connor, do you own that one? I do own used cars. Yeah, I'll get that to you. I'll, I'll watch it at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's a 1980 rated R movie starring Kurt Russell. That's really all I need to know. Fuck. I'm really, uh, should I just go ahead and tell you guys what I'm choosing between? There's two movies. Yeah, go ahead. 1997's Contact and 1984's Romancing the Stone. I'm having a hard time here. Romancing the Stone, as Connor pointed out to me this past week while I was watching it, without that one, we don't have Back to the Future. I think it's really important for his filmography. It showed what he had working with big, major talent like Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito is amazing in that movie. Contact is fucking weird and out there. Also has good performances. Doesn't feel like a Zemeckis film at all. I really hope one of you takes the other one if I don't. Um, I'm going to go Romancing the Stone. Mm. Okay. God, it's tough though. Do you ever plan on watching the sequel that Zemeckis did not helm? To Romancing the Stone? Yeah. Oh, who, who, who directed I don't, it? I don't know who did it, but I know it's, it's the same cast. It's called The Jewel of the Nile. And yeah, I've, I, really I read about it. Yeah, I read about it and I was like, I don't know. Uh, I didn't see who directed it though. That has that has a little bit to do with it because it's if it's someone I respect, I also <laughs> like watch. I like watching directors that I like. I also like watching their kind of you know movies that aren't as well received. So maybe one day. Louis Teague. Okay, doesn't ring any bells. Oh, He's a guy who did Alligator. Ah, Alligator. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Uh, yeah, maybe one day, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to race to it, but, um, maybe one day. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's my four who framed Roger rabbit flight Castaway, and romance in the stone. What the hell? <laughs> weird, weird group. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Okay. I, have, I haven't seen contact, so I, I'm not taking contact. Whoa. Really? It, I, I was going to watch it for this, but it wasn't streaming anywhere and I didn't yeah. want to rent it. Totally fair. That's how I felt about used cars. Uh, it's also very long. It's a very long movie. Um, it is it is like exactly two and a half hours. And but you know you got Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey. You know there's there's some cool you know John Hurt's in it. I, I do think you'd like some aspects of it. Uh, pretty pretty hard hardcore sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Uh, fun fact about Castaway that I always thought was really cool. Um, so. While they were filming Castaway, Zemeckis had to take a break because Tom Hanks had to lose a significant amount of weight. So it looked like he'd been on a deserted island for quite some time. So in that break, Zemeckis took his crew and made What Lies Beneath. <laughs> okay, yeah. Using yeah. his time wisely. And I was like, that's, that's smart. Wait, well done, Rob. <laughs> I, like, I, I like that. I like a, a resourceful man. Now, I haven't seen What Lies Beneath, but I've heard it's not, not, not as good as Castaway. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. I watched it last night. It's it's all right. Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer are great, but it's pretty predictable and not really all that scary. I was hoping for more. Fair enough. Okay, so I'm guessing you're not picking that. 
Nope. <laughs> well, so are, are you're taking used cars, aren't you, you fucker? <laughs> I mean, I do have Back to the Future 3 out there, but <laughs> do I want to diversify my my portfolio here? <laughs> I mean, that would be kind of badass. You have the trilogy and Death Becomes Her. That's a fun group. But isn't that predictable? Like, isn't that just like... Yeah. But exactly it's, what uh, I would do. Just a bit, but it's up to you. I, mm, you do you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I could live with myself if I didn't take Back to the Future 3 when I could. But also, like, used cars is fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. I do really like used cars. Ah, why? Why, 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 why? There's nothing else uh, up for the running, no. Um, Beowulf's fun. Um, the walk was good, but like, did I need to see? Mm. Like, did we need that story? And did uh, it need to be Zemeckis? You know, like, yeah. like that could that could have been just any guy. I think yeah. Allied, I thought was all right, and I haven't yeah. seen Marwen, the witches, or I want to hold your hand. So yeah, Allied Allied does have some cool stuff going on. Um, yeah. yeah, but again. Just like, okay, you know. Fuck it. I am who I am. Back to the future part three. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I I got nothing to prove. I got no one to impress. These are my movies. I love them to death. And you also get Death Becomes Her. So, you know, yeah. that's fun. So, that's fun. Yeah, there's my epilogue. <laughs> you you basically have you have from eighty five to ninety. Ninety. Two. 90, 92. All yeah. you skip it. All the only one you skip is Roger Rabbit. Well, I counted amazing <laughs> stories in my in my list here, but because I guess he did uh, part of it. Okay. Okay. Good call. Good yeah. call. Yeah. All right. Well, that, I mean, you have a kick-ass group. You can't really argue with it. Uh, Caleb, yeah. what uh, what are you going to take that's going to surprise the shit out shit out of us now? <laughs> are are you are you going to go back and take uh, fucking I want to hold your hand? <laughs> No, I'm going to take the the only film, the last film standing that I've seen of all the ones we've talked about uh, from Zemeckis that I need a rewatch. Remember, I like Connor mentioned, I had a fun time with it when I first saw it. That was Beowulf. Beowulf, 2007. Yeah. Um, Like I said, I saw it once when it came out and just because I'm a dumbass teenager, I was like, oh, Angela Jolie's in this. And then did not register, yeah. oh shit, it's animated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I think I made that same mistake. I remember going to see it and thinking, this looks weird. And then realized, <laughs> like, oh, it's Christ. a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't advertised that well, admittedly. No, but with that said, what I remember was I remember having a fun time with it. The fact that I think it was like PG thirteen or like it was a more adult anime. It's R. It's a pretty hard R. Yeah, an R rated Zemeckis film, which you know, thanks to things like that and South Park, has sparked my love for you know more R rated, you know, cartoons, whether they be TV or movies or whatever. Um. So yeah, I mean, I definitely it definitely deserves rewatch. But I do remember when I watched, it, I had a fun time. You know, it's a fancy epic. It's based off. A very well known um I want to say poem story. Yeah. Um and you could tell this this was one of those I know it's that weird period we kind of talked about we did animated films, but you can tell the Mexican hearts in this that the actors hurt it's in this like they want to tell this story and it shows in the final product. So yeah, Beowulf. And, I love that and you took down the animated gauntlet. That's great. Yeah, you really did. You you, <laughs> you got you got his best picture winner in the animated gauntlet. Um 
You know, I actually, what's funny about Beowulf is uh, I was just listening to this podcast this past week, which is probably the coolest thing that I watched or listened to the whole week. It was this uh, 1987 movie draft with uh, this podcast called The Big Picture. And so that's uh, Sean Fennessy, Amanda Dobbins, and Chris Ryan from The Ringer. Uh, They had on fucking Roger Avery and Quentin Tarantino to do a 1987 draft. Roger Avery wrote the screenplay for Beowulf. <laughs> and sure. he, he, he talked about that a little bit. He talked about some like the things that, you know, different people he's worked with. And he had really nice things to say about Zemeckis just as a, as a, you know, a coworker, a guy you're kind of making stuff with. So uh, that's interesting. I, I need to rewatch Beowulf. I, I don't think I've seen it since probably 2007 or 2008. Uh, it feels like ages ago. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I put it in the book. I'd like, I think that would make an epic film gasm. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, that would be, that would be cool. Yeah. I remember when I was watching and going, why is this film getting so dark? Like this film, <laughs> I just remember it was like, they advertised it, but I don't think they really advertised what it was. So like, I remember watching it as a kid going, why is, am I allowed to watch this? Like what's going on in this movie? The second Grendel ate somebody's head. I remember thinking like, oh, okay, this is, this is a lot. This <laughs> is. <laughs> What's funny is it's sandwiched too. It's like sandwiched between Polar Express and uh, Christmas Carol. Like he did this in between. Yeah. Like yeah, if you saw the yeah. Polar Express and then thought, oh, he's adapting this old, you know, like epic poem, probably going to be like a Her- Hercules kind of movie. And then you take your kids to see it and they have nightmares forever. <laughs> that probably happened a lot. Probably. Except me, of course. I'm just like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's one I want to watch again too. Yeah. Any uh, any movies here that you feel like uh, Caleb? You said that's the last one that you've seen. So Connor's used car is probably the next next in line for you. Yeah. If I had five picks, I'd grab used cars. Yeah, and I, I'd probably I'd probably go Contact or Allied. One of those. Um, I will yeah. Say, some, yeah. Also, what we talked about, I really want to see Death Becomes Her. That's been one that's been high. Oh yeah. This radar. So good, so good, Connor. I think you just gave me a copy of that not that long ago. Pretty sure I did. I bought a uh, a Blu-ray collector's edition from Shout Factory, and uh, yeah. had a DVD. So I gave you the DVD. And yeah, it's also, and I-, I bought it in Voodoo just because I want it there too. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm I'm one of those freaks who still still loves DVDs. I'm not like uh, I'm not not a. I'm like lower class when it comes to like watching movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I buy tons of DVDs too. For me, it depends. Like if it's an all-time favorite of something I adore, I want the best possible quality of it. And that's just me. That's fair. Yeah. I usually try to stay like current. So like, like right now, like, you know, whenever Halloween ends comes out, you know, on sometime next year or whatever on Blu-ray and 4k, I'll pick up the 4k, but I'm not like, I, told Con, I don't hop. I don't rush to like replace my damn, collection i'm not fucking doing that i was like not happening but like if it's like an all-time favorite of mine i have made that upgrade you know halloween i have upgraded to 4k you know i've upgraded american werewolf to 4k so i have done it with films that like i adore that i just love to watch and i'm like i wanted the best possible quality yeah because if you're going to rewatch it you know like a halloween you're gonna watch it like at least once a year you might as well have like a good good version of it I'm definitely, uh, I'm not as, um, what's the word as, uh, I, I don't, I don't do that. Like you guys do. I've always respected that about you guys is that like every Halloween, no matter what you're like, I'm watching this gauntlet of movies. I'm more like, there's probably like three or four that I watch every year. 
but most of the time I'm trying to watch something either new that I haven't seen, like a, like a horror movie in October that I'm like, oh, I want to knock out stuff I haven't seen. And like for Christmas, same thing. I also am just not a huge Christmas person. So I differ from you there, Caleb. <laughs> but I, but I, I'm, I'm not as um, like, I don't have like that calendar that you guys do. And I, I've always been kind of like, I'm not, I'm just not that kind of person. Has a lot to do with me watching a ton of sports at that time too. And the, you know, the, the fall, winter, I'm watching a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. basketball, football, soccer, hockey, just like, you know, just so in, consuming too much sports. But uh, I've, I've always loved that. So like, I don't, I don't really have those in my life where it's like, oh, I'm going to rewatch this a lot. I should have the best version for me. Blu-rays are like, is it five bucks at Walmart? Let's fucking snag it. <laughs> I, will, Fair uh, I want to quickly about Christmas. I love the <laughs> spirit of Christmas. I love the spirit. I do. I don't yeah. like how we've commercialized into being obsessed with for sure and stuff like that. I love the spirit. I love the idea of, you know, let's put our differences aside and just be thankful for what we have and enjoy this that part i love i don't like the commercialization that we've done on christmas um yeah, of course all yeah. that stuff I, i'm not one to go do all the tr- crazy catholic church shit on christmas i don't i don't care just i want the spirit i want the food i fucking love the food <laughs> yeah food, food is usually good in uh, november december yeah yes i you know i don't like god and i don't like capitalism so i make my own traditions that's how my family's always operated we have our own christmas stuff we do every year we got movies we watch. We got, you know, the Polar Express thing. We do, you know, cookies and shit. And that's just, you know, Christmas to me means family. So that's how I've always done it. I've never, you know, I I don't, yeah, I don't care. No. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. Go, go ahead. Sorry, I was like, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against gift giving. Nothing against this. So don't get <laughs> it is fun, just not my focus. Yeah. yeah no, exactly. I, I, I'm just like I I I I'm the same way. Like I enjoy watching fucking Die Hard around Christmas and Batman Returns, and you know, and like doing that whole bit, or like, oh, like here's this cool record. This person would like this. I'll buy it for them. That's great. I don't I, I like the commercial the commercialization thing bothers the shit out of me. And I work at a grocery store where like people are coming in like fucking, you know, it's World War Three, you know. So I just I. I can't stand that part of it. I we also Connor we worked at that movie theater. People mm-hmm. just have a people have this fucking. It's not a they like don't have the spirit. Some of these people uh, that are like it's Christmas time. They have this. Where's my chips and queso? You know they have that kind of attitude of like, like why do you care so much? You know like why can't you just enjoy? Like you guys said, the things y'all are pointing out are great, but most people don't don't actually cherish those, and so it's other people that bother me, not so much my own family or. Like how I do it with my 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 now wife and my yeah. daughter. Like we have fun, you know. And I'm yeah. I'm I'm grateful for that. But the other fuckers out there, man, you know, the people who fight over PS5s, like just fuck you, you know. Like it's just yeah. really to, frustrating. To quote the great comedian Dan Cummins, I try to have faith in humanity, and then I run into humans, and it gets tricky. I, I, yeah, especially around you know black friday and christmas yeah. and like those God. things are like oh my word like it's not yeah. that big of a deal no. you know your your little bobby will get his ps5 when he needs to have one all right you know like it's it's <laughs> gonna it's gonna stock. be okay yeah it's gonna be okay <laughs> you know and you don't most of these fuckers they buy it these parents they buy it so that they can put a fucking picture on instagram of like look what a good parent i am like 
That's not what parenting is. Like you're crazy. It's all that stuff that bothers the hell out of yeah. me. And I love I love when movies make fun of that. You know, yeah. um, I, I that's like one of my favorite things about Christmas movies is when they kind of attack that part of it, the capitalistic side of it. Like uh, no like the opening of a uh, Krampus. You guys have seen Krampus? Like that <laughs> yeah. opening shot is <laughs> hilarious. Yes, yes, exactly. Like that awareness is is cool to me. Yeah, nothing beats Arnold Schwarzenegger and his hunt for the Turbo Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's some the funny best anti capitalist Christmas movie ever. I love yeah. all the way. Such a good goddamn movie. Yeah. yeah, that that would be a cool film gasm to do. I've been um, thinking about our Christmas lineup, and that has come up quite a lot. So yeah, there's so <laughs> yeah. many film gasm options, especially since we've like strayed away from doing pure horror. It's like. You can kind of do whatever you want. You know? It's anything uh, goes. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Uh, that's how I adopted it's, it. Uh, I adopted that for Beyond the Bad's Christmas lineup. Uh, it's. I think I put a little bit of everything. There's horror in there. There's some family stuff. There's some comic. I tried to put a little everything in there. Perfect. That's exactly how it should be, man. You know, just genres are. There's too many. There's too much fun out there to not to not represent all of it. Uh. All right. Whoa. I love the Christmas tangent. The Christmas tangent we went on. Let's. Uh, I'll recap here. Our, our kind of our, our little Zemeckis squads that we've built. Um, Caleb, you have Forrest Gump, Polar Express, A Christmas Carol, and Beowulf. Which is so awesome. Uh, Connor, you have Back to the Future one, two, and three, and Death Becomes Her. It's a, it's a strong group. Uh, and I, I chose Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Flight, Castaway, and Romance in the Stone. Uh, these are this is this is a, I like these twelve movies. I would watch any of these twelve. I think uh, you know just because they're they're well done, well made, and they usually have something to take away from it. So I like I like our picks here, uh, oh. Connor. I'm uh, Connor. I'm sure you're you know giddy as can be that you got all your 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 babies. I didn't think that was going to happen in the slightest. <laughs> I was when as soon as you said Caleb was first, I'm like he's going to fucking take it away from me, <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> It crossed my mind. I was like, should I do this to him? But with that said, I, I am glad I picked the right pick because I was not expecting this to surprise you guys so much. Yeah. My picks. I, I think every single pick surprised the living shit out of y'all. Yeah, yes, yeah. We gotta we gotta see. I knew Gump was gonna get taken. I just thought for sure one and two were gonna be Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future in, in some order. I thought I just I thought I honestly I thought I was gonna get Forrest Gump on the back end, you know, I was like, Oh, maybe I'll be able to take Forrest Gump here. I was like a one, two with flight or something, but, uh, no, I ended up with Roger Rabbit, which I'm totally happy with. <laughs> great, great I, movie. I, I tend to surprise put my loves outside of horror. I've noticed quite a bit. People are like, you like yeah. that? I'm like, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah, one exactly. of those, you know, hardcore, like biker hell's angels dudes. who then you find out is like part of that, you know, like ch- protecting kids from abuse gang. It's yeah. like that's kind yeah. of what happened here. It's like, oh, there's a heart. yeah, and they're like, they're, they're like, they like go to the jukebox in the in the bar and they turn on like Celine Dion. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what people have man? layers, you know? People are onions. I'm cultured. Onions have layers. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Shrek, uh, another movie we've done on this on this show that was a lot of fun. Uh, all right, well, let's talk more about Roger Rabbit. Um, it's 1988, fucking classic. Uh, a a technical marvel, if you will. Uh, one of the more impressive combinations of two very different genres. You know, uh, the, obviously the animated kind of slapstick comedy with film noir, real people, 
uh, that's like my favorite aspect of it is just kind of the mashup that we get and the execution is, is, is just as good. Uh, so we, we've got, we've got a good one on our hands here. Uh, Caleb, it seems like whenever you come on the show, we do a great movie. Uh, <laughs> there's no, there's no like fluff when it comes to uh, Caleb being on, on Oscar Sunday. So I do think uh, to properly get into these, you know, this movie, we have to go into the awards, talk about what we love about it, talk about our favorite scenes, our favorite characters. Uh, so we'll do the Quentin Tarantino award for the best quote, the Ennio Morricone award for the best music moment. There's a lot. <laughs> the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for the best performance, which is a very, very interesting conversation. I can't wait to see where we go with that. And then finally, the Roger Deakins award for the best scene of the movie. So, um, Caleb, we'll let you start with your Tarantino whenever you're ready. All right. Uh, first, thank you for that compliment about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man. You're, you know, hopefully that <laughs> knock on wood and not have that fuck up anytime soon. Straight bangers. Yeah. Well, what, what you what you need to do is come on to an episode where you haven't seen the movie yet, and you're like I going need, in, yeah, going in totally blind, and you're like, oh, I didn't like this. <laughs> yeah. I just be, I just make it to be on the bad episode. <laughs> yeah. Just oh, just fuck it up. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, oh god, that's actually kind of something. But with that, <laughs> my best line, I actually it was kind of like a throwaway line because it made me laugh. And then I I started thinking about it. I don't know why the line got in my head the way it did. I was like the implications in actual Hollywood. I doubt this was the Mexicans' intentions, but I took it as that. Um, and that's when you know Dumbo pops up in the window. Yeah, the movie producer is like. Best part is. They work for peanuts and he just throws the peanuts out at him. That's the line I put because, like, one, it's funny, but two, it's like if if this is what they were going for, and that attack on like old school producers, right? I even shouldn't say old school, recent producers, thanks to the whole you know, me too movement and stuff not too long ago. Um, and how they view actors, and especially in this regard, especially back then when it was like the studio system and you had contracts with the studio and all that stuff, yeah, and how for them they want just Act, they were just cattle, you know what I mean? Like, act, yeah, like Connor, you know, you make the joke all the time, right? Act for me, you sheep, or whatever you call it, you monkey. <laughs> dance for me, monkey, dance. Yeah, I think there I said that. You know? <laughs> um, that's, how, that's how they were back then with these guys, like, you know, and you know, not taking anything away from Hitchcock. Like, I love Hitchcock, I have a, a collection, I can't wait to one day actually take away time to dig through. Um, but he. It's well known. He wasn't always the best for his actors. He very much viewed them as like, you do what I say because you're the actor. You just do what I say. And um, so that's why I went with the line. It was like, yeah, it's, it's funny for me. But then like, it just made me get in my head start thinking like, oh, I wonder if he was making some kind of quick little funny remark on how it used to be. Right. You know, you know, back when it was the studio system to an extent. Now, luckily, the Me Too movement kind of helps with a lot of that stuff. And actors having a lot more say and whatnot, um, but yeah, that's my that's my line. That's a quote I put. Uh, I love that. That's that's such a great scene because we're we're kind of getting introduced to this world and how this is a Disney Warner Brothers mashup, and you're like, yeah, is that fucking Dumbo? Yeah, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> such a cool such a cool moment. When you're a kid, you're like, what the fuck is happening? You know, like like you don't you don't quite grasp what this means. So I think as as you get older, you're like the the kind of layers that that scene has and that that bit of dialogue has it's a good pick yeah well i like how he starts it out with you know i got him on loan from disney yeah that is yeah. how they used to work like you know, you know montgomery clift is owned by mgm but you know 
Universal was able to rent him for this production. Like that's how it used to work. You yeah. were under contract for a studio. And, and wouldn't that be so fascinating now if, I mean, obviously it's not, you know, I don't want that to happen, but it would be fascinating if it were more like sports where HBO Max is like, hey, Timothy Chalamet, we just signed you for 10 years. Dance for me. <laughs> if it worked that way, Disney would own fucking everybody. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They'd, they'd be like, oh, Brad Pitt, we're going to pay you. Yeah. $30 million a year. Uh, all you have to do is make one movie every two years. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, that's how act- actors found out they got work. Like, Brad Pitt gets a letter in the mail. Suddenly, you know, he's the new Captain America. Yeah. Well, like, I don't want to be. It, it, he's like, but I don't want to be in this movie. Oh, did, did you say no to yeah. this movie? Did you not remember the contract you signed for this? Or? You didn't read the fine of contract. Do we have I to get some lawyers involved? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're <laughs> Disney, right? <laughs> Yeah, I just I always assume thanks to South Park, that's my version of Disney. It's a fucking their take on Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant, right. brilliant. I've I've been thinking about that a lot recently, though. With these giant, massive streaming services, what if they all had contracts to give out like a certain amount of money on their payroll, and they're like, "Hey, Zendaya, you're popular. Come over here. <laughs> you know, you're gonna be." You're gonna be with us for the next 15 fucking years until you're 40, you know, and this is what you're doing. That would be crazy. I'm so glad it doesn't work that way. I mean, uh, it never could anymore. Yeah. God. Fun to think about. Fun to think about, though. Yeah. Because what, 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 the, the only re- reason it's fun to think about is which people, like, say the actors had some sort of freedom, like, had choice with this, like, like people doing sports, like, if LeBron James wants to go to the Lakers, he's going to go to the Lakers. He can sign for less money if he wants to or more money. You know, it's kind of it's sometimes it's their decision. You know, as athletes, yeah. you get to kind of choose where you go if you're a free agent. Like if, if Leonardo DiCaprio was like, I don't want to work for fucking Disney. I want to work for Hulu. <laughs> you know, like, that's what I would rather do for less money. That would be fascinating because then you'd have people teaming up. Like actors being like, I want to work with that guy for the next eight years. I'm going to go over here. So like Pitt and Leo would be like, let's fucking do this, man. You know, like let's, <laughs> let's knock out, let's knock out four movies in the next 10 years. And like, that'll be part of our legacy. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to think about. It's uh, makes you wonder who the MVPs would be. Who'd be the guys where every, you know, breaking in box office dollars where they could make those decisions. And who'd be the guys who are kicked out of Hollywood. Cause they're not making hits. Ex- exactly. Like obviously, Tom Cruise would be a sought after guy. It's like, Hey, he only has, you know, 10 years left of really making great shit. What do you think? I mean, he's already 60. So like, you know, Top Gun Maverick was super, super, um, you know, successful. If Hulu was like, that's our movie and that's our guy, that'd be a big fucking deal. Well, in this universe, like take Adam Sandler, for example, would he even have enough clout to do a movie like uncut gems or would he have been like just out on his ass? By the time that came out, because he hadn't had a yep. substantial hit in long enough. Well, yeah. And you you brought up uh, Austin with the age thing. That was that's one of the, the cons to is that you know back then if you hit especially if you were female especially yeah. when you hit a certain age they didn't bother to renew your contract you were done for them they were done with you they people didn't want to see you with their eyes so yeah um, and they did it to men just not as much and usually much later in their life yeah. Um, so that's and actually that's um really fascinating stuff when you look into like that history of people like Boris Karloff, Mel Lugosi, and town their troubled uh histories in Hollywood and stuff like that. Um, but that is one next that then it's going to the ageism thing of like you're only good to us 
for a certain amount of years and then we're done with you. You're cut off. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating, man. I love thinking about stuff like that. Like the old way, if it were that way with streaming services and our current, yeah. our current actors and actresses, it's not going to happen, but it's an interesting thought process. Yeah. All that from Dumbo. Good pick, Caleb. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent <laughs> I'm, pick. I'm, I'm coming in hot and heavy today, boys. Yeah. He's bring, he's bringing the heat. He's bringing the fucking heat. Oh, uh, <laughs> so great. Connor, you're Tarantino. Uh, I do have one honorable mention that made me laugh uh, just because of the, uh, the implication it's when uh, Dolores catches Eddie with his pants down with uh, Jessica rabbit. And he goes, she goes dabbling in watercolors, Eddie. Yeah. It's like, "Ah, I love that. People are fucking cartoons. But but my, (laughs) my real line is it actually comes from Roger rabbit. And it's, uh, when they're hiding in the like the secret room at the uh, at the bar, and he's explaining like how he could, you know, these people are going to have his back because he made them laugh. And he says to Eddie, "A laugh can be a very powerful thing. Sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have." Yeah, and I was like, "Fuck, that's insightful." <laughs> like yeah. you know, it's the ultimate defense mechanism, and I love that this film kind of uses that as a way to explain who these tunes are. They live to laugh. They live to entertain. There is no malice behind them at all. And everyone takes advantage of that. It's, it's great. It's a, it really like adds another layer to this interesting dynamic that this world creates. Yeah. Super fascinating. That's a great pick. Um, I love that scene. That whole, that, my, my Tarantino also comes from a part of that scene. Uh, I think yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie for sure. And I, that resonated with me for sure. That 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 awareness of comedy and like what it can kind of stand for. That it's not just this genre to kind of be like, eh, you know, you kind of like gloss over it. It's it's a serious thing that can mean a lot to to people. It's a great screenplay, Jeffrey Price yeah. and uh, Peter S. Seaman. You know, this is a strong strong screenplay adapted from that from the novel. Who censored Roger Rabbit? I, I want to read that. It's I read it uh, a couple years ago. It is nothing like the movie. That's cool. Uh, I like completely that. Completely different situation. There is no Judge Doom. Like, they made up almost everything. But it, it is a very fascinating read. A lot less comedy, a lot more noir. Cool. That sounds sounds perfect. Uh, right up my alley. So, good picks, guys. This is this is good. Uh, I, I chose something that I thought was just really funny. You know, just really silly. Uh, a bit of dialogue between uh, Mr. Eddie Valiant and uh, Roger Rabbit when they're at the bar. It's, uh, when Roger Rabbit's about to get dipped. <laughs> which is so just the dip uh, is so good and judge doom is you know christopher lloyd's amazing in that scene as he's kind of just stalking around the bar like i know i'm gonna find this fucker and he does and he's you know he's choking him and he's holding them out uh and eddie says hey judge doesn't a dying rabbit deserve a last request <laughs> roger says yeah nose plugs would be nice <laughs> uh, and eddie says i think you want a drink so how about it judge well, why not? I don't mind prolonging the execution. Eddie says, happy trails. And Roger says, no, thanks, Eddie. I'm trying to cut down. <laughs> Eddie says, drink the drink. Roger, but I don't want the drink. He does want the drink. <laughs> he does. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. You don't. I do. <laughs> and then finally, you know, he, he, he throws it back, you know. Uh, listen, when I say I do, that means I do. <laughs> such a lovely lovely bit of a uh, bit of filmmaking right there that is zemeckis like to the core you know it's just 
this silly, really entertaining, just kind of timeless. Like this could be at any given moment in film history. And Zemeckis has a few glimpses of that through the eighties where you're like, man, this guy, you know, this guy's just clearly on top of his, on top of his craft and knows exactly what he's going to do. And I love that scene. Cause you know, of course, Roger f- freaks out and, you know, smoke goes everywhere and he releases his, you know, from judge doom's grasp. And that's, it's, you know, a big scene. And Eddie, I love the weasels so much. And Eddie takes them all out. He's fighting them. It's a brilliant scene for, showcasing the 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 animation and, and then the live action you know um these two things are just seamless when he's fighting the weasels you're like that looks like he's actually punching a fucking drawing you know so it's it's really it's really a brilliant scene uh like it was competing for my deacons well i love that that's you know it's an obvious nod to the iconic you know duck season rabbit season gag um, from looney tunes and exactly the same thing yeah right yeah. Rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season. Duck season. <laughs> yeah, Zemeckis yeah. paying, you know, homage to where this all came from, to the origins of, you know, Looney Tunes, of wacky cartoons, and it's, it's great. It's, it's, an, you know, there's a lot of those throughout this movie, and that's, that's one of the best. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant stuff, and that never gets old. You know, uh, the back, a back and forth comedic. You know, the, if the timing's right, that never gets old for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it it works in that Looney Tune cartoon, right? It's, I mean, that Bugs Bunny. Uh, Elmer Fudd one is to this day probably one of the most well-known uh, skits they did, and it works just on Roger Ra- and Roger Rabbit. It's a great homage to that. Um, yeah, that. Yeah, my my favorite like back and forth is in uh, the Emperor's New Groove, uh, when uh, Pacha's two kids are going back and forth. Nah, uh-huh, nah, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> it's such a funny and like if you try to do it really fast you can't like you can't do it <laughs> you're like it's fucking crazy and i just love that movie it made me so happy as a kid and still does today so i i've always loved yeah that that kind of like back and forth it's it's simple it's easy it's not it's not trying to be some dry comedy that you have to like read through you're just like this is just funny and i sometimes i like that good good old just original comedy right and usually what a good payoff right like you had the great payoff and this one you have the hilarious payoff in the Looney Tunes yeah like there's always a good payoff to like this back and forth thing they're doing yeah yeah it's great it's good stuff so yeah I I thought that the the Tarantino there's a lot of a lot of ways to go and I feel like we all kind of went our own way here Uh, we got like a whole conversation about Hollywood out of Caleb's uh, Connor's Connors is really interesting for what it like represents for the comedic genre. And I just chose something that's just funny. <laughs> so good picks guys. Uh, the Ennio Morricone award for best music moment. There's some good stuff here. And uh, I had, I had a real hard time. I actually just picked like an hour before we started recording. Um, I watched this last night and I was just kind of grappling with it, but I finally was like, yeah, that's my favorite bit. So uh, Caleb, Ennio Morricone, what do you got? So I know I just said I'm bringing in like the heat, but this one's just a simple one. And it's, it's always been that piano duel between Donald and Daffy Duck. Classic. There's just no other like music moment that like, I'm not saying this movie has a lot of great moments of music, but this one is just, you have two, you know, the most iconic, you know, duck characters, as you said earlier in film, in the same scene, which that's how they had to pull it off to get both parties happy. It's same as why you see, um, you know, Bugs Bunny and, um, Mickey Mouse, yeah, the same scene. It was just like, hey, let, instead of just because there was like so much time they wanted, so they just put them in the same scene to alleviate that. Same thing here, and it works wonderfully from like you know the music they're playing to classic you know Looney Tunes, you know Disney cartoon hijinks of now I'm going to shoot you because I don't like what you're doing. 
and all these hijinks and shoe. And it's just, it's a great fun little moment that I just, it, it, made, it puts a smile on my face both times that I've seen this movie. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant scene. Yeah. It's a great moment. I mean, you know, as a kid, you're like, it's Donald duck and Daffy duck. Like, can you even do this? And yeah, it's like, you know, one of the first ambitious crossovers. And I love that. Uh, you get Daffy's iconic, you know, this means war. Line. Yeah. <laughs> I love the uh, Marvin Acme. He's like, they never get to finish the act. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Great pick. Uh, I love it. Connor, what do you got? Uh, mine is, I, I wrestled with this one because I, I love the score. It's very, you know, mm-hmm. 40s Hollywood, kind of, you know, sleazy. I love that. But there's so many great music moments. And I had to ultimately go with uh, towards the end where Eddie gets loony to distract the weasels. And ah, he, yeah, he, yeah. He puts on the, the big merry-go-round thing and he does his little Looney Tunes, like, you know, pratfall thing where he, like, drops bowling balls in his head and, like, trips on a banana peel. And he gets, you know, Eddie gets his sense of humor back and he uses humor to disarm the situation, like, literally. I always love that part. And Bob Hoskins just absolutely kills it in that scene. As as Roger says, you know, he's knocking him dead. It's, yeah. it's, it's so silly yeah. and so fun. I love when he got, like electrocutes himself in the lamp and he's just like, ah! Like that always, that always makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hoskins is really, really going for it right there. It's out of, completely out of left field. Yeah, it's wonderful. Comes out of nowhere and then ends with a swift kick in the balls. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially because Hoskins plays it so straight throughout the movie. Still getting his comedy in when he can. I mean, the guy couldn't help it, thankfully. But like really going for it in this scene, it does it does pay off wonderfully. It it works great. You believe yeah. Eddie Murphy said no to this? Like he, well, he, they like wanted he him made for a lot of decisions. He made a lot of decisions that has yeah. led to how his career is going right now. So that's all I got. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it's not, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. I, I like Hoskins. Uh, I think you need like a straight, you know, like a more serious actor for that character. To kind of offset how wacky the rest of this movie is, and no, Hoskins I, I think was perfect. It's, I can't imagine anyone else in that role. Yeah, and and it's it's the first thing you think about when you think of Hoskins yeah. is, is this. So like it works out great. It's like this kind of random pick, but perfect pick. Like it's just everything aligned just uh, so wonderfully. It's a better choice than Super Mario Bros. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh shit! No fucking kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Good, good lord! What happened there? Uh, uh, <laughs> I chose, I chose, I chose a song as well. So we all, we all kind of went with a, a pure music moment, like you said, Connor. The score is is solid, but uh, the song that I chose plays twice. Uh, once when we first go to Toontown, and, oh, yeah. and, and and then at the end of the film, smile, darn you, smile. Such a great, great track. And when you go to Toontown, you feel the same way Bob Hoskins does. You're like. Get me the fuck out of here. Because everyone, it's like flowers, just like, da, 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 you know, just like so absurd and ridiculous. And uh, definitely took a page out of, you know, the Wizard of Oz book uh, there with, with all that, that kind of introduction to Toontown. I love when he, before he goes in there, he ha- he like grabs the gun and all the little bullets jump in. And I, I, I love that so much. Um, so that... Going into Toontown, like you need a wacky, ridiculous song to play, and that's what plays. And then when they finally, you know, achieve what they achieve at the end of the movie, they sing it again, and it's like even more fucking characters singing it. And you're like, this is great, you know, what a movie! Like this is what 
sometimes this is what movies are for or just just feel fucking good at the end and uh while i while i love some you know super fucking depraved sad movies uh i do like sometimes when they end on a high note and that's what happens here yeah that's a good pick i love the the toontown introduction because like you're not really sure the first time you're watching this you're you're, you've heard about toontown it's been mentioned for a while it's like it's like an hour in you yeah, see a glimpse of it in the background one scene. They show that little glimpse before uh, Yosemite comes flying yeah. through. Yeah. Did you notice the um, the uh, the um, engrave like the the message on the box of the cartoon gun? It said, uh, "You know, thanks for helping me out of that jam, Yosemite Sam." <laughs> yeah, he gave so him the cartoon good. gun. <laughs> so good. Uh, but yeah, I love how Eddie's just the whole time like so over this, and he didn't want to be here, and he's so just annoyed he even has to go in. I love when he gets in the car crash and the birds are around his head. He's like slapping the birds. Like, get out of here. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. Yeah, and and that's just uh, it's just brilliant stuff. Once you get to Toontown, this movie just gets flipped upside down and it's it just gets better and better. So I definitely love that kind of like change of pace. Uh, and that song helps a lot. Um, just so fucking weird. You feel like you're on an acid trip. You're like, what the? Where are we going? Uh, so yeah, good stuff. Um, I love I love those picks, but um, the score. I was just gonna look who who composed this, Connor. Do you know? I have a feeling it's Alan Silvestri because it sounds very similar to the you, Back to the Future I score. I think I think you're right. Let Let's me find out. That. Um, Roger Rabbit, Riveting okay. stuff. Whenever we have to look things up, it is Alan Silvestri. Yep, you're right. Connor was right, and you know who's the cinematographer? Dean Cundy. Back to the Future. Your boy, your boy, <laughs> Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy, Dean Cundy is responsible for a lot of Connor's favorite movies. Um, so, you know, I think that's, I've, I've always been fascinated by that. Cundy yeah. was, uh, Cundy was prolific. Yeah. Halloween. Oh, yeah. That was him too. That's, yep. I'll say Halloween. And then he just went on to do all sorts of great stuff. People forget Halloween, mostly because obviously John Carpenter's, you know, synth score, but Cundy played his part for that. As I well. think, I think my favorite of his uh, performances are, is is a Jurassic Park. Like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? You're the guy. Your guy who did that too. So clearly, the guy. Uh, yeah, you know, had had some some serious talent. Uh, st- I mean, he's still alive. He's he's quite old. But uh, yeah, I mean, Hook, Death Becomes Her, Casper, Apollo thirteen. Like, this is just in the nineties. So like, what the f- fucking maybe, crazy? Maybe as a kid, I just really liked the way this guy framed a shot. <laughs> Escape from New York, you know. So him and John Carpenter, obviously, the thing. I mean, come I mean, on. Well, so, uh, I like to know that this guy apparently had good things with his directors. It sounds like because he worked with John Carpenter a lot, he worked with Spielberg a lot. About you know, like the guy was apparently very good to work with. And yeah, he the dude knows how to light a shot, how to frame a shot. Like the guy's fucking stellar. Yeah, I think Deegan's has some some competition here. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, but then you look at like what he's done like in the 2000s 2010s and you're like what happened <laughs> like why'd you start working like jack and jill what are you doing what like why, why would you why would you be like yeah it's gonna be a challenge you know um i mean again he's older so maybe he's like fuck it i don't give a shit you know i'm just gonna i just want to go film some shit but there's there's a lot of movies here from the past couple decades that are like really that's the guy who did halloween and jurassic park um, that's, that's yeah, part of his mindset. He's like, you know what? I did Halloween Trust Park. Fuck it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe him and Zemeckis are like, we don't give a shit what you guys think. <laughs> you 
we're going to do what we want, when we want in the 21st century, because we gave you guys some of the best shit in the 20th century. So maybe that's it. I don't know. But I, I mean, the, the, the amount of the amount of credits is what's most amazing about Dean Cundy, uh, just churning them out like 1981, one, two, three, four, five movies just in that year. Like, what the who does that? Well, I mean, we see with his, you know, what he was doing. I mean, he knew what he was fucking doing. I mean, if you, you know, he's the guy who filmed Back to the Future, the thing, Roger Rabbit. Like, I bet he's felt in, he felt fucking invincible. Like, why not? Yeah. And his his one his one Oscar nomination, which is just fucking silly, is who framed Roger Rabbit. Just well, one. That's insane. That's well. I mean, we all know how Hollywood treated good old John Carpenter. So unfortunately, those yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anything he did with Carpenter was going to get nominated. Hollywood made has has had a bone to pick with him for but, no goddamn reason. You're telling me Jurassic Park didn't deserve a cinematography that, nomination? And that's what I'm saying. Like, I get like, I hate to say it, I get Car why he didn't get nominated for Carpenter stuff because unfortunately Hollywood had a weird beef with him. But like Spielberg stuff, yeah, it, feel, it feels like Hollywood had such a beef with Carpenter, it extended to anyone who fucking worked with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, it's you know Kurt Russell, Jamie Lee Curtis, nothing for them. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it's weird. It's really strange. And I, I know this isn't the the episode of the podcast getting to that now, but I, it just always bugs me. I was like, you know, Carpenter's one of my favorite fucking directors. Same, yeah. <laughs> for him to get so shown like that, it's like fuck you, Hollywood. But at the same time, like man, did until his last couple of films, um, that man turned out fucking hits heavy gold, like, just constant yeah. gold. The guy was a fucking director, an auteur, oh, if yeah. you will. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's. I think all three of us. I think he's one of the one of the guys we we like unanimously just praise. You know, there's just not 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 much bad we can say about the guy. Um, so yeah, I've always wondered, like, like it would be really cool to live in a world where, for me, the thing is at the top of that list of like how how is that not more critically acclaimed when it comes to awards. Um, mm. I, I I mean I of course I love Halloween I love Sultan Precinct Thirteen I lo- I love you know a lot of his stuff Escape from New York but the thing is like it might not be my favorite movie of his but it's like the most impressive like like no one else can do that should have been up for best director should have been up for pro- you know uh, special effects should have been up for Kurt Russell best actor should have been up for best picture you know should have been up for like eight or nine things and that's just a damn shame that we're gonna look back and be like oh you know the eighties. The '80s could have taken a oh. taken a really cool chance on him. Yeah, well, I mean, here we are, forty years later, and apparently, Fathom Events fucked up the screenings of the thing. So, forty years later, still not getting the due when they do a, a anniversary screening, and they fuck it up. Luckily, Traft House. Um, I know I talked about this on a different podcast, but basically, a very famous director, Mick Garris, he's on a bunch of Stephen King adaptations, does his own podcast now. Uh-huh. Um. He went to it because he was the publicist. He did the behind-the-scenes footage for the thing when they were making it. So he has a very close relationship with Carpenter. He was on set of that film every day. You know, he's very indebted to that movie. And he went to go see the anniversary screening. And apparently, it was like they beamed it off like a, a, a DVR and then put it onto a screen. So it looked horrible, played horrible. Oof. And he put it on Twitter. What happened? It blew up. They had a... they supposedly fixed their screening and then the traft alamo traft house response saying hey 
we're going to show it and we're going to show you how it should actually look on a on the theater screen so draft house trooped in so like we're going to show you how the thing should actually look playing on the big screen yeah that's yeah and austin and i are going to that next week (laughs) yeah next yeah a week a week from today we'll be going to see the thing uh i cannot i'm i'm like Whew, I'm so so excited for that. I'm more excited for that than like any movie that's coming out, like new movie that's coming out. I can't wait to see the thing on the big screen. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen a a Carpenter, a proper you know old Carpenter film on the big screen yet. So I'm like I'm so jazzed. I can't fucking wait. Thanks to uh, Studio Six Six Six, I've seen Carpenter himself on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> there you that go. Was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a couple. You know, I've seen a couple. I I try to you know I I I sniff these out, and uh, yeah, this will be just you know more more adventures. If I was near like a trapped house type movie theater, I'd see things like this on the big screen, but I'm not, so I don't get yeah. the like these cool screenings anymore. I don't know a theater near me that does stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's not you know it's more rare than you'd think. Like the way that draft house turns them out, like it's not just like a you know once a year thing. It's like almost every week some draft house in texas is like let's fucking let's show old movies and that's that's my favorite thing about that that company is that they they kind of stayed committed to that like it wasn't it wasn't a false promise it was like they, they're still doing it and mm-hmm. i've seen you know i've seen plenty of stuff you know i mean connor and i saw jaws together you know i've seen lebowski there um you know i've seen seen random things here and there you know saw heathers there which was a lot of fun just i love that they're not like um they don't like play favorites. They're like, we're just going to show stuff that fans fucking love. You know, they're like cult classics. And um, that's, that's my favorite thing about it. So yeah, the thing is, yeah, just such a, such a masterpiece that I love how Dean Cundy got us to hear. That's fucking <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh yeah. He's the man. Yeah. He's definitely one of, you know, obviously one of our favorite cinematographers ever because of what he did uh, through the, through the seventies, eighties and nineties. So you got to give him, got to give him props. Um, All right. This one's going to be great. The Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. We get to talk about who we think steals the show here. Who gives the best performance. There's obviously different ways you can go. You could choose a vocal performance here. Uh, you could choose, you know, we could, obviously we've talked about Hoskins quite a bit. You know, um, I'm interested to see where you guys go. So, Caleb, who'd you pick? Uh, this was one of my tougher picks. Was a lot. I mean, it's just nothing but great performances, you know, in this. Um, but ultimately... I went one I picked just because I love this actor a lot and everything he's done. I just love him in it from, you know, clue to the recent nobody film. Um, and that is Christopher Lloyd as judge doom. He, he brings it. He is such a great villain and I'm not going to get into the end just yet with him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll save that intent. Um, but he's a great villain terrifying when he gets to that scene and you know it's funny because as a kid you're kind of like man that's a weird reasoning he has to have against the tunes but you get going go like oh no now i get the the subtleness of it the genius of his evil plan you know what i mean it's it's almost like let me take away this thing that children love you know that your innocence and your childhood take it away rip it apart so i can put all this road here and this freeway which back then in the 40s was unheard of um, and you know, crush your hopes and dreams basically for American capitalism at its finest. <laughs> mm, yep, the freeway, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> freeway. Um, uh, so yeah, Chris, eight, 
eight lanes. <laughs> you know, so good. Restaurants that prepare rapidly prepared food. It's like gas stations everywhere. Uh, billboards you know and billboards as far as the eye can see. <laughs> so good. Even now, if you've been to Houston, Texas, eight lanes is quaint. I'll put it like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Christopher Lloyd's just he is great. He's he's awesome in this in this movie. I, I what a fucking villain he is, especially if you're watching like Back to the Future or you know his role in Clue or even his badass turn to nobody, which I wasn't expecting at his age, but he's he had his badass moment in nobody. And I was like, Oh yeah, Christopher Lloyd, you fucking get it. But yeah, I really like him in this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Connor, who'd you pick? I also picked Christopher Lloyd. Fuck yeah, so did I. Let's go. <laughs> Yes. Beautiful. Patrick, Judge Doom is a m- monster, just an evil presence. He's, uh, I read that in the, uh, in the uh, prep for the, for the character, Zemeckis wanted to include that he's the guy who killed Bambi's mom. Just to, just to let him, just to get him a little bit more evil. <laughs> oh, that's great. But I adore the fact that Lloyd is so committed to this performance. He doesn't blink. Ever, because the eyes of Judge Doom are fake. There's no need to blink. And he brought that to the character. So you're paying attention. He's just got his eyes wide open the whole time behind those dark sunglasses. And then when he goes full, you know, reveal, it's like, oh shit, this is terrifying. And yeah, I just I, I love his commitment. I love how evil the guy is, and the plan is so just <laughs> it's so absurd. It's like he wants to make a highway. Yeah. God damn it. As a kid, I was like, oh my God, that's so evil. But as a you know, as an adult, I'm like, oh, okay. So he's just, you know, the baby boom. Okay. Yeah. Businessman. Yeah. This what's gonna happen with or without him. What's that meme? Okay, boomer. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But um, yeah, that's cool that we all went judge doom. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I was trying to be um what's the word? Just try, trying to be like you know mysterious about it, but to me it's not really close. He's like by far and away the best, best, best performance of the movie. Uh, like you know, things you guys have already pointed out, just a genius idea for a villain for a movie like this. Um, and and Christopher Lloyd, you know, I I don't think I don't think people just realize how special he is and how talented he is. Um, his first acting acting role is uh, Tabor in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And I saw that when I was pretty young. Um, one of my favorite books ever. And he's like immediately was one of my favorite guys because his eyes, his eyes, like he, his eyes are just as like much of a tool as like Humphrey Bogart's are, you know, um, they're like, there's something you can't get away from. So for this movie to use his eyes that way, is such a cool thing because it's 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 on it's on the nose but it's not you know and it's like just original enough to be like that's a genius choice you know for this movie it's a, it's great stuff whoever made that decision if it was Zemeckis or whoever whoever made that call it's like such a great call it might have been Christopher Lloyd who's like hey I've got an idea you know <laughs> and and at this point he's he's just he is the character he's like one of the character actors the uh, the guy who just can do anything can act fucking bananas but also has this weird like grandpa vibe going on that you're like, I, I just, I, I want this guy to like hang out with me and tell me stories. You know, yeah. uh, he's even when he's playing judge doom, he has a way about him, the way he moves, the way he looks, the way he walks. I, 
I've just always been like kind of enamored by him. And there's not many people who have the physicality that he has where he can just walk across with his cane. He can just walk across a room and you're like, that guy's presence is so known right now. And I, I love that about him. Uh, so I'm super happy we all chose him because <laughs> I, I think he deserves it. I, like, I think other people are good in it. I think there's good vocal performances, but I just do not think we're talking about this movie the way we're talking about it without this good of a villain with, and Caleb, I'll let this bleed into your deacons <laughs> without this good of a payoff uh, at the end. So just great stuff. So Caleb, what's your Roger Deacons award? My Roger Deacons is 100% when Judge Jim reveals himself and even his subsequent deaths, so like the whole segment from reveal to death. Um, because all of a sudden this film, which has been this great comedy with adult humor that flies over your as a kid, but then you become an adult, you're like, Oh my god, I have a baby that just talked about his three year old dingus for some reason in a damn children's movie. What the fuck? Um, but uh it goes from that to horror in a goddamn second. Like it the eyes, the way the eyes just look, and it's just like he his voice starts to get higher in pitch, and he's just he's jumping all around the thing, and he just becomes a whole the true doctor. Uh, I'm supposed to say Doctor Doom, Fantastic Four is apparently on my mind thanks to Comic Con, um, Judge Doom. But uh, you know, he just becomes like the real Judge Doom in that scene, right? He's the, yep. the mask is off. He's now this is who I am, and then when you get to the part where you know. Bob Hoskins foil, you know, gets the upper hand and he's in his dip, as they call it. And he's like that that screaming he does, the whole like I'm melting and the high pitched screaming, it's horrifying. Like, yeah, this movie is fine for children. In all fairness, you gotta be careful on this scene. This might be where the nightmares begin. Is this whole segment right here? And you know what? I'm always you guys know me as a horror fan. I'm a sucker for this. So I'm a sucker when a film says, let's just go horror real quick. Let's just see how far we can go in this children's movie. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. this film forces kids to confront a lot of stuff, you know? I mean, with Jessica Rabbit, suddenly they're asking all sorts of new questions. Yeah. And then with Judge Doom, it's like, why am I scared of that man's red eyes? Because <laughs> they have daggers in them. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Such a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant finale to the movie, too, is that whole. That whole reveal, you kind of you kind of understand the twist now, and he's like, "I'm the one who killed your brother." And like all of that stuff is is just so brilliant. And God, Christopher Lloyd is so good at yelling. He's so good at like screaming at people. Um, Connor, Connor, remember that scene in uh, <laughs> One Flew Over where he they're playing they're playing uh, like they're playing poker essentially, and he's like, "Play the game, Harding," and the other because they're all you know they're all insane in that movie, and Harding's like, "I am playing the game," and he keeps slapping. Christopher Lloyd keeps slapping in the back of the head. Play the game. Play the game. <laughs> Just trying to make him go even more insane. And uh, like he's so perfect for that movie. <laughs> so awesome. I'm so glad he got cast in that. Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito. You know, it's just such an awesome like a, cl- a collection of weirdos. You know, uh, I've I always I always think of now Roger Rabbit, One Flew Over, and Back to the Future for Christopher Lloyd. That's my kind of gauntlet for him. Yeah, you're not wrong. I throw Clue in there. Uh, yeah, always- Clue's Clue's great. He's so good in Clue. <laughs> it's you that's, and me, Honey Bunch. That's got to be a filmgasm, man. Clue Clue would be oh, a fun I, I fucking filmgasm. 
Clue is a masterpiece. I love that movie to death. I, I would love to do that on the show. Clue, Clue would be a fun movie to do with like eight people where you're all like role playing. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. I love it if you watch that movie now, they just play every single ending. So if like you have no idea how that film was released, like let's watch Clue for the first time. You're like, then I just see this ending. Why am I seeing it again? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd also throw, um, you guys ever see Dennis the Menace? Oh yeah. yeah. Love Dennis the Menace. Yeah. Switchblade Sam. Like yeah. he is so God. greasy gross in that movie. Ugh. Good pick. God Good God. call. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much, so many credits that he has uh, you know, over over time. The guy, I'm 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 looking through him now. I mean, he's done so much work in TV as well. You know, he just hasn't stopped since 75. He, he did this movie with Michael Keaton called The Dream Team. In I think the early nineties, yeah, where yeah. he like he's part of a a group of insane like of of mental patients who get lost in the city, and his psychosis is he thinks he's a therapist, <laughs> so he thinks he's the doctor like leading the expedition, but he's one of the patients. Yes, <laughs> and that's 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 uh that's nineteen eighty nine, so it's the same year as yeah. Back to the Future too. Like fuck off, this guy's so good, <laughs> he's so good, sweet, um. My Deacons is exactly the same as Caleb's. It's it's Judge Doom's reveal. It's such an amazing scene that if, if you're watching it for the first time, it comes out of fucking nowhere. And it's so like, oh my God, it's one of the best plot twists of my childhood where I'm like, holy shit, he's a tune and he's the one who killed Eddie's brother. <laughs> it's like, what? And I love earlier, I love that it doesn't, you know, that reveal doesn't come out of nowhere because earlier, you know, Eddie's telling Roger about his brother's death and he's like, I never caught him. But I remember that high-pitched squeal in the red eyes. I'll never forget that. And it's, mm. and it's the red eyes, and you're like, oh, my God. It's, oh, it's great. There's, uh, there's, there, there's so much more, like, for someone who watches this for the first time or, or if it has been a while, like for, it was for me, you forget how much, how much, is, like, how, how much incentive there is for, for Judge Doom towards Eddie. You know, like, it's just yeah. such, an interesting, such an interesting reveal with, with a, lot of, a lot of layers to it. And it, it like, makes you want to know more about the brothers you know you want to know about yeah. eddie and his brother and like what what all happened there and i i am glad though that this movie has stayed where it, where it's at stayed in 1988 they haven't like they haven't made like nine of them since so they could have they could have made the a franchise out of this thing so they were like go ahead i will say i will say zemeckis better have something in his goddamn will this <laughs> when it comes to these films well, they, I know they were trying to get a sequel off the ground for the longest time where it was going to be uh, like Roger Rabbit in, I think, like Vietnam or something like that. Like it was going to yeah. be weird, like tunes at war. And um, yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. But well, a totally Valiant and Valiant like prequel, I, I might see that. Yeah. I, I, I would if it was, yeah, like if it was made now yeah. and like, you know, you use different actors who are a little bit younger, you know, like different, you know, younger Eddie. You know, give it a little Chinatown a, feel. I can a watch fully that. tuned Judge Doom without the costume, like evil. Like, I'm, what the hell does he look like out? You know, under the, I, under the mask. I'm surprised. Like Disney Plus, like they haven't done anything for Disney Plus yet. You know what I mean? Because they are announcing. Yeah, we got a National Treasure movie. There's a Percy Chat, or not a movie. Um, show which should hopefully lead to me. I know we talked about that. Or, I mean, Carl talked about that earlier. Um, yeah. well, yeah, Percy Jackson show. Aragon got announced. Like, I'm surprised they haven't. Well, I think it's because. Disney would also need Warner Brothers to sign off on that. Ooh, and, and that kind of cooperation does not happen today. 
No, especially with the superhero stuff, because you yeah. have one company that has a super successful, mega successful, I should say, MCU, yeah. and the other one on the struggle bus with two fucking announcements at Comic-Con known as DC. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it, it bugs me that that's what these... It's like, you know, MCU's it's like, like here's slate. it's like LeBron James going up to some, you know, rookie basketball player just like broke his leg last season being like, I need your help. And the guy being like, fuck you, you don't need my help. But I, yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's weird. Uh, but... Probably, probably not happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's that probably said, for the best. With that said, all those Disney Plus shows I mentioned sound pretty awesome and the Willow show. So, I mean, hey, you know what? Side note, we still got good Disney Plus content on the way, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Um well, yeah, we'll 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 take we'll take what we can get, yeah. you know. And 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 it is neat for every now and again. Of course, like it's nice to like have ideas about, you know, a prequel or whatever. Sometimes it's nice to just have this hour and forty minute movie that is just a diamond that stays yeah. where it's at. And that's like that's its lane. That, yeah. that's how I feel about uh the horror film trick or treat. They've been talking about a sequel for years. They finally, the director says he's working on it, but at this point, I'm like, man, just leave it. Like, I, yeah. I, I adore that film. I love it to death. It's a perfect one and done. At this point, I, I stopped caring a long-ass time ago. Just keep it at the one. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it incredibly fucked up that Judge Doom, like, intentionally developed, like, the only way to kill his own kind? Like, yeah. How yeah. fucked is that? <laughs> See, very, very the, evil. Yeah. The 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 runner up scene I had was the one where he takes the damn shoe, the innocent oh. shoe. It was an innocent tune, damn it. No one stopped just, him. <laughs> yeah, and just puts it in there, and I'm like, in the oh god, it's it's a horrifying scene. Yeah, no one stops him. He's just still talking as he's oh. just doing it. Caleb, do you know what I realized in that scene? Mm. The cop who goes to get Eddie, who's like, you know, the the rabbit cacked him last night. That guy. He's the guy who pisses off Darth Vader in the first Star Wars, and Vader chokes him at the table. Oh, really? Yeah, that was him. Crazy. I was like, I know that jawline, and I looked it up, and I'm like, that's fucking the guy who shit on Vader's religion at like, at a meeting. You don't do that. I know that jawline, man. I like how you were like, no guy in a mask is going to get past Connor because he knows the jawline. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I recognize jawlines. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> One of you ever becomes a vigilante. If I get a good look, I'll know it's you. What, what if you didn't know? What if you like had no idea Jensen Ackles was in the boys, and the first thing you see is him in the mask? Like, why does he look familiar? Hmm, I know that jawline. <laughs> so, yeah. What are you? Uh, what's your Deegan's, uh, Austin? <laughs> And spot that jawline from a mile away. You'd be great. You'd be great for the Batman world because it seems like nobody knows who Batman is. And I'd be the guy time. being. I'd be the conspiracy nut being like, "It's Bruce Wayne's jawline." I know yeah. it is. Or, That's- or for Superman, you'd be like, "Guys, come on, the jawline, the jawline." <laughs> oh, that's great, <laughs> my, my Deacons. I, I initially wrote down what you guys wrote down, and I wrote down essentially the showdown, the showdown at the end, and. Because it, 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 it has so much happening. You know, it has the Bob Hoskins routine where he's dancing. The weasels are, you know, <laughs> they're going up to weasel heaven or hell. I don't know. And, <laughs> and, and, you, and you have the reveal of, you know, Judge Doom. But uh, as I thought about it more today, when I was at work, I was like, what, what is my deacons? Like, what really stands out is just a kind of like a singular scene. And, you know the opening to this movie is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in my life. 
when we first see, you know, they're doing the little, the little bits, baby Herman and, you know, the, you know, Roger rabbit, he's got these, they're clearly like, it's like a cartoon show and you're like, Oh, this is nice. It's like a Tom and Jerry thing going on. And then, uh, then we see that it's, it's a film set essentially and uh, a studio and, uh, we, we see that they're upset with Roger because he doesn't know his lines. You know, they're like, God damn it. What's wrong with you? You know, and you, you quickly are introduced to the world of animated and live action at once. And man, how is this possible in 1988? You know, that initial reaction I had last night while watching it, I text, I even texted Connor. I was like, I forgot how this movie started and how it jumps right into that. It doesn't really like ease itself into it. It's just bam. Like, look how impressive this is. And that's my like favorite thing about this movie is the balls it has to do that over and over and over. It's not just like a, here's a glimpse of this technology and this, this crazy, you know, special effects that we have going on. It's the whole film is animation versus live action, constantly interacting with each other. And for that, if you don't love this movie, fine. If you don't love the story, fine. Whatever. That's that's your that's your problem. But you have got to respect what this movie accomplished. And that's where I think the Oscars giving it a special achievement award. Sometimes I think those are cheesy. I actually get it here. I actually understand it. I'm like, yeah, this movie deserved to be recognized yeah. for for something outside of the categories, for what it did that no one else did at the time or no one else did nearly as seamlessly. So that opening scene, man, when you you have Baby Herman like super upset, <laughs> is so funny and also just jarring. You're like, I, I can't believe that this is happening in front of me right now, and this movie is over thirty years old. That's just this is just bonkers to me. That's the thing. It's like this isn't the first time we we'd seen this. You know, Mary Poppins did this. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it had never looked this seamless. Like you believe no. this is a world where humans and cartoons can coexist and like work Correct. together. It really believes like they're there hanging out. And it still looks like that well, today. It's never looked this good. And no. For me, I think what helps this scene work is that it starts off like a cartoon. Yeah. It has yep. Yep. the cartoon opening. It's very much like and you're if you I'm sure like at time for watching the trailers or you watch the first time, you're like, what what are what is it that people talk about with this movie? You know what I mean? You're like, it's a fucking cartoon. What's the deal? Right. And then the moment you just hear a cut in the background and this three-year-old or whatever, this uh this baby starts going, oh, that's all good. We're done with the damn scene, like starts cussing and is pissed <laughs> off. You're like, What? And it's just like you said, there's no it just blows you right into it. I think sometimes that's the best way with films. Like I, I as much as I like easing into it, this isn't a TV show, right? Where they can't afford to ease you yeah. in and take its yeah. time. You know that that's where TV comes in. This is a a one and done film. You got to throw the audience into it and just you know make have may have, have it make sense along the way, and that's what they do. So yeah, it, this opening scene's brilliant. From like having it start out like it's a stereotypical cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Or lay that into like oh no, there it's like. This is a world where they're actually filming a cartoon like there are any other film, show, whatever. You know what's really cool is they made a few of these. They made a few Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman cartoons. And I remember I had a on tape, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when I was a when I was a kid. And there was a Roger Rabbit cartoon before the movie. And it was a different one. And I thought that was neat. And they're all on Disney Plus. Like you can watch all the Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So cool. So cool. I yeah, I love love that opening, man. Thought it thought it thought it was just just brilliant. The way Roger Rabbit is, is following the producer, like as he's walking behind him, and you're like, that, that is 
that is just pure talent right there. That's amazing that we can do that with filmmaking. It's just, it's, it's kind of that, just that Hollywood magic. It's like every now and again, you gotta be like, I don't care how sleazy the industry is. This is fucking cool. <laughs> like, this is, this, this is, kind of, this is why we do it. Why we watch over and over. And another thing I like about it is, you know, as a horror fan, right? What's that age old argument, which that you hear all the time, practical versus CGI, blah, 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 blah. This is a case where I'm like, guys, when you want just practical, like I'm going to tell you this, had this, had they done this practical, it would have not looked good at all. No, um, no. And this is where you could say the argument for when it, when CGI is necessary, when it, when it can be done, because they had the money for it. I know they spent a very large chunk of their budget. If you actually look at the, like the history, like they spent more than they anticipated to make sure it looked good. Um, but this is where like, yeah, you could make a case for when like CGI done right and looks great pays off in dividends because even now in 2022 it still looks good like i this film yep. look to me it's not aged one bit it looks amazing still yeah yeah beautiful yeah roger rabbit man great stuff and what's great is uh we're not we're not quite done with it because it did receive six nominations Ooh. so i i want to i want to go through those categories for sure and just kind of just kind of check them out and see what we think. Uh, what should we start with? Because it won three, uh, so I want to save those for the end. Of course, it got that achievement award. I guess we could start with something like cinematography or one of the other two. It lost. <laughs> I have a hard time believing it lost anything technical. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, it lost uh, art direction. We could do that. Yeah, let's do art direction, sound, and then cinematography. Okay. Art direction. Let's see where we're at. This is so wild bunch. This is of course the ceremony where Rain Man won uh best picture. Uh so you know I don't don't love that movie, but it's decent. You know, it's not it's not great. It's not one of the best best picture winners ever, but it's also not bad. So uh I just, I, I think Roger Rabbit's better. <laughs> Personally. Uh let's see. Art direction. Okay. Interesting group here. Uh we have Dangerous Liaisons was the winner. Beaches, Rain Man, Tucker the Man in His Dream, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, only seen two of these, so I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, but, you know, when in doubt, give it to Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I've, I've only seen Roger Rabbit, so. I've seen three of these. Uh, Tucker the Man in His Dream is, is a good movie. It's Jeff Bridges and the story of the guy who basically invented like every car safety feature and was just lambasted by the auto industry for daring to take them on. It's a great movie. Uh, but in terms of set design, Roger Rabbit, like by far, I mean, you know, not just Toontown, but also, you know, the Acme, uh, yeah, the Acme factory, Valiant's office, the bar, the red car, like um, RK Maroon's office. Like it's, it's, it all looks great and very timely and very inspired by, you know, noir films. Like there's, you know, Sam Spades all over this motherfucker. It's, mm. uh, it's great. It looks, it looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't argue that, man. Uh, what's Connor, what's the movie on there of the other two that you, you want to see more? I could probably do without beaches. Uh, Dangerous Liaisons has always been intriguing to me. I've seen Cruel Intentions, which is like, uh, you know, 90s oh, teen yeah. remake of that story. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen I've seen Cruel Intentions mostly because uh, I'm a college player. I you know when I was watching Buffy in college, I was like watching that show for the first time. But he's like, "Oh, you have a 
he realized how big my crush on Sarah Michelle Gellar was, like one of my original crushes. And he's like, have you seen Cool Intentions? I was like, no. So he told me to watch it, and I did. And I was like, well, ah. oh, yeah. <laughs> if you ever wanted to hear Buffy say the phrase, I'll fuck your brains out, that's the movie to watch. Yeah, it is. there you go. There you go. Cruel Intentions. I, you heard it here I, first. Yep. I wanted to hear it. I heard it. I was quite a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and Dan- Dan- uh, Dangerous Liaisons is, is also a Best Picture nominee. So one day, Connor, we will be doing that. Um, let's see. Best Sound. It's an interesting group. We have Bird that won the award. It's understandable. It's a you know, movie about music. Uh, Die Hard. Fuck yeah. Gorillas in the Mist, which is something I've always wanted to see because the poster just looks unfucking real uh, Mississippi Burning. And who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, I've seen three of these. Uh, I out of those three, Die Hard, Mississippi Burning, and Roger Rabbit, I'd give it to Roger Rabbit again. Just you got you got crazy things going on, and I imagine some of the I imagine it being this like classic Hollywood, uh, the you know the kerplunk and like when boxes smash and all those things are happening to a, the nth degree uh, during Roger Rabbit. So. I, I always kind of tend to go with something like that where it seems a little more difficult. Yeah, I bet the Foley artists are working overtime on this one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've only seen, you know, of these of these films, Roger Rabbit and Die Hard. And Die Hard's awesome, but Roger Rabbit is way more of a technical achievement. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I've only seen Die Hard myself out of this um, other than Roger Rabbit. And uh, yeah, I give it to Roger Rabbit. It is tough because Die Hard, I mean, it is they're doing a lot with their sound. I mean, it's an action film. Action films inherently you do a lot with sound yeah. for what they are. Actually, I would argue any like genre type film, like uh, action, a family film like this, or even like horror films, like sound is important. You know, one of the top things they have to make sure they got down. Yeah. Um, but with that, yeah, I'd still give it to Roger Rogers because I think they're working more harder in the sound department more than Die Hard. Not the Die Hard slouch in any means. Yeah, fucking fucking hell. That's that's a a classic and definitely a movie that I see kind of on equal playing field as Roger Rabbit. Both of them I like a lot, so um that's a cool matchup. Um best cinematography. Here's a here's a here's a group. We have uh Mississippi Burning, the winner, uh Rain Man, Tequila Sunrise, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. And who framed Roger Rabbit? This is a cool group. Connor, there's Conrad L. Hall, a guy we talked about not too long ago. Yes, indeed. That's such an odd group of films. Um, I've only seen Roger Rabbit from that bunch. And I got to say, like, what this film had to accomplish with cinematography is remarkable. You've seen Rain Man, right? You, oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I have seen Rain you're, Man. <laughs> you're good. I was just like, I, I, yeah, I thought we just said that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's my bad. It's late. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I I would give this to Roger Rabbit 100% because, you know, Dean Cundy had to, you know, frame this around animation shots that aren't there yet. So he had to make sure this looked good for stuff he was going to, they were going to put in later. And that cannot have been easy. So I, I think he was working, you know, overtime for this. So I, I would, I would give it to him. Yeah, totally, totally fair. Backing Connor up on that. Only seen Roger Rabbit. Um, same thing he said, Cundy's working extra hard to, frame shots light shots for something that isn't there yet it won't be there till post yeah. um, and also just because we just talked about it god damn it oscar showed dean cunny some goddamn love yeah 
yeah. Dean Cundy's only nomination. Let's give him a win. Come on. Fuck yeah. Yeah. But you know, you know, uh, uh, Mississippi Burning is a classic cinematography winner. It's very impressive. Great landscapes going on. Kind of a lot of natural lighting. So I, 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 I get it. I understand they're capturing Mississippi in the, uh, in 1964. Uh, so it, it, it is an impressive film on that standpoint. But again, I also would go Roger Rabbit here, obviously. Um, not going Rain Man here. I don't think Rain Man's anything special on that front. You know, I think it's a pretty, pretty average film when it comes to just how it looks. So I'm, yeah, I don't really understand that. Anytime I see the Oscars nominate like a drama in the best cinematography category, I'm like, why? I'm like, not nothing is like dramas, <laughs> but in like cinematography, it's like stock standard plain ass cinematography. Like, just yeah, nothing yeah. special about it. Yep. Well, okay. Uh, my, my, I guess drama. My my only response to that would be my my favorite cinematographer ever, Emmanuel Lubezki, does a lot of you know you know Children of Men and you know different different movies like that, The Revenant, uh, Birdman. I do think I mean he's not doing anything crazy. He's using what he has in front of him. He like always uses natural lighting. For me, I prefer that to. Like, typically, I prefer that, how a movie, like, that's the way I want a movie to look. Mm. Uh, you know, like, something on, like, 35 millimeter that just is really raw, and you can tell that it is just a camera and a landscape or people talking in a room. I do think there's an art to that, but I, I agree with you for, like, a, uh, giving an award out. Yeah. I do think you should you should go I, to the person who tried harder. So, I, I get what you're saying. I, yeah. I will give you that guy, because... Um... Birdman, The Revenant, what was the one you said? Children of Men. First off, all great films. Um, yeah. Second off, what he does to work with the director for The, Le- the Revenant and um, Birdman Fucking, to make it look, yeah. especially Birdman, to make it look like one take continuously. Impressive. Yeah. The shots they're pulling off in Revenant, impressive. Um, God damn it. The, the third film. Ch- Children of Men. Yeah. Children of Men. Dude, I don't know why. I love that movie. I don't know why I keep forgetting it. It's um, so like, good, yeah. The numerous one takes, like the the one with the car and the raiders are coming out to attack them. Yeah. And yep. then obviously when they get to the war-turned city, he's trying to get into the damn building. Like He is doing really cool shit and to make it look good. So that I understand. I just mean like... I just mean like your standard, like we were talking, like you're just your standard, like yeah, speech type of drama. Where I'm like, what are you doing? Like, your Oscar baits, <laughs> like you know, Rain yeah. Man, Spider House rules. These films that are just like filmed, just filmed with nothing special behind it. So yeah, totally. I get what you're saying. Yeah, to- to- totally get that. I do. Yeah, I-, I think, I think like Emmanuel Lubezki is a guy who's like, let me take that and fuck it up. You know, like I, I, I will show you how to be athletic behind the camera i'll show you i'll show you fuckers how to do it you know yeah and he also he also has has always worked with you know with you know alejandro Inaritu and alfonso Cuaron, and he has like a really cool relationship with these guys who are typically spanish-speaking directors and he has a really cool relationship with them and they obviously have like an awesome work partnership the same way Dean Cundy does with these guys, you know, these guys we've been talking about Carpenter and, you know, Spielberg, uh, you know, and Zemeckis. So I always love that when a director and cinematographer are on the exact same page, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it seems like those are my favorite movies or when they, the vision for the director is exactly like how that, 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 you know, cameraman is like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. Or Deacons with the Coen brothers, like, fuck yeah. You know, like they obviously understand each other. Yeah. 
it, it shows a good collaboration between what the director wants and then what the um, cinematographer or director of photographer they want to be called. Yeah, and those can be achieved in that collaboration of like, okay, how do we pull this off in a way that we both like and still looks really good? Um, so yeah, um, I would say a recent example as far as like some try is the 1917s another one that I'm like, Roger Deakins exactly with that like holy shit yeah so, so that's the kind of cinematography I I really look for when it comes to that and when I hear some of these like winners sometimes I'm like really you guys yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a frustrating category because it is like my favorite thing about movies is is how how it looks and how it was filmed and how did this actually what were the decisions that were made I feel like with Deakins he he like reads the director's mind the director's like I was thinking and he's like no I like I already know like I I got you you know <laughs> like you you don't even have to fucking say it I, I I'm going to like use every ounce of my energy to make this movie look as cool as it possibly can and. 1917 is a great example of that where without him we don't have 1917 it's just not going to happen so uh yeah. i love guys I, I love guys like that that are like have signature styles yeah i've read some insane stories of like directors that have worked with the same cinematographer like over years that all like that where they have a shorthand they barely have to speak they just they know yep. how the other one works and what their one wants and they're just like barely even have to say anything we just do it and they're happy with it yeah so fucking cool and yeah, that's that's like to me as a, as time's gone on, I'm more fascinated by that kind of partnership than I am anything with movies, writing or acting. It's just like that. The vision behind something is so so fascinating. So so yeah, I really wish Roger Rabbit would have been rewarded for that partnership between Kundi and Zemeckis, and obviously, like Connor said, the difficulty of filming this while knowing they're going to be adding in animated fucking bunnies you know and, and all kinds of crazy shit to your to your already filmed movie like that's got to um, be that's got to be intense toontown alone like all you got is bob hoskins in a fucking studio yeah in screen yeah and you have to exactly. film it that good so point that looks good good point yeah god i love these conversations guys this is great uh let's see those are the three um ones that lost now we can go to the winners. Visual effects, sound effects, editing, and best film editing. What should we start with here? How about film editing? Film editing. Sounds good. And, you know, this this award, typically, if you win it, typically, I think it's about, there's been, you know, 94 of these ceremonies. I think like 70-something of them. If you win best film editing, you're also nominated for best picture. So like 70 out of the 94, something like that. I read that somewhere and I was like, ah. and then the ones that don't get it are like some of my favorite movies that have ever been nominated. And Roger Rabbit is like, why was this not nominated for best picture? You know, like fuck fucking hell. Like this is a total, totally different than anything that came out from this, you know, from this ceremony, from this year. I really wish it was in that group. I think it deserves it. Um, so it beat Die Hard, Gorillas in the Mist, Mississippi Burning and Rain Man. So you have Mississippi Burning and Rain Man, both Best Picture nominees, Die Hard, which is probably the movie most people have seen from this ceremony, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say maybe that and Roger Rabbit. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're both they're, become staples to watch. Yeah, both like classic late 80s movies. Um, mm. I would give this to Roger Rabbit, though. I would, I would agree with this vote. I would give this to Die Hard. Okay, let's hear it. 
I think, you know, action movies are notoriously difficult to edit because mm -hmm. of all, you know, the, the special effects have to be timed perfectly. You have to get yeah. the right shot. You have to get Bruce Willis jumping off the building at the right moment. And that film, you know, the way it's edited is, you know, hops up the tension. Just as many times as you watch it, you still have that feeling of tension. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. Uh, so, yeah, I would give this to Die Hard. Good call. I like that. What do you think, Caleb? God damn, I'm the tiebreaker on this one. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, no, yeah, this is tough, you know, because, you know, I'm not going to go on my whole editing rant, but as you know, you, a good edit or a bad edit really does make or break your movie because you will not notice good edits, but you will notice bad fucking edit. Mm -hmm. um, and you you will. Um, you know, you have Hugh Frank Rock Rabbit with her. Again, they're working around the fact that this is going to be animated later, loss of some post. And it does flow very well. But, however... Going after Connor and Die Hard, action films are hard to, uh, especially, and it doesn't matter if it's like the '80s type where they, you know, quick cut everything, the Michael Bay right type of where it's just cut, 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 cut. You know, you have to do it in a way like you were saying that keeps that tension going. That obviously, you know, when these actors punch, right, it's all fake, but you have to make that look real. Like they actually just punched that guy. You know, that guy actually got shot. All that good stuff. Um, you have to do that, and obviously they're a hard part nowadays, thanks to the John Wick franchise. Which, hey, thank God. Yeah. Now they have to actually like really hold those takes, so I'm sure that presents a whole new problem. Um, but yeah, you know what action you gotta, you know, it's kind of like a good a good horror edit, right? You gotta keep that scare going, keep your keep that suspense moving, and actually you want to keep that excitement going, and you want to start building it and building it and building it till the very end of the movie. And Die Hard just does a wonderful job of that, just racking up the action all the way up to its conclusion. For sure, yeah, yeah, I can't argue that. And and it's it, it's it goes to show like a movie like that should win something like film editing because it is one of many many '80s action movies that stands the test of time and still like looks better and better as we move forward. Uh, so I get that. I get that argument. I think I think Roger Rabbit. Again, I, I don't even know where you would begin with this. Begin with being on the, you know, the editing floor. And that's where my kind of admiration goes to it as well. Is like, what, how does this even, where does your brain even go first on, all right, we have all this footage of these different things. We got to add, you know, we got our, obviously our animated characters that are on screen and making that all work. And there's specific decisions made in this movie that I just really respect. Uh, but that, man, it looks like, Die Hard and Roger Rabbit is just like a really cool po possible like 1988 double feature. That would be a lot of fun to kind of see like what was really good from the late 80s. Like what's quality filmmaking. One thing I didn't really think about with Roger Rabbit is that editing this movie must have been next to impossible because if you, you know, I'm assuming the draw, like, I don't know if this was edited pre or post animation if it's post, yeah. I mean, that's next to impossible. Like if you've got right? a scene that looks better, but the animation isn't as tight and doesn't connect to the scene that follows, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah, like when 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 uh, that bar scene when Hoskins is punching the weasels, I'm like, how, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you? I don't um, know. I don't even know how you would begin to. Like, I, it would hurt my head. I still am. I'm still rooting for Die Hard, but I I 100 get the win for for Roger Rabbit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not. But, yeah, this isn't a case where I'm like I'm angry. Like, correct. Like, yeah, yeah. If it yeah. was both... Die Hard or Roger Rabbit, I'd be like, God, those are yeah, 
Yeah. If it was anything other than those two, that'd be like, what are we doing here? What's yeah, going on. on with this? Hold but, on. Well, well, yeah. The only other movie I would like, and I'm I'm being serious. The only other movie I would be like, I get it, is Scrooged. Because there's some some fucking crazy stuff happening in that movie. And well, it's still, I mean, I mean, when Connor and I saw it at the New Beverly uh this past December, I was like, this movie's pretty awesome and like still. You know, it looks 80s, but it's it's pretty amazing how they did everything with the way he's kind of going back. He's getting, you know, you got these dead characters and, and whatnot. Um, I, I think that movie's like so fascinating on a, on a technical standpoint. Well, it's like we talked about with uh, when Pill talked about, you know, comedy and horror. You know, comedy relies so much on timing, and so screws you got you got to edit that to make sure those those jokes land, especially like with Bill Murray's very dry humor. Yeah, you, know, you gotta make oh, sure yeah. it lands and you get the laugh, and then you're not lingering on too long, but you're not cutting the joke too short. Like, yeah, I I totally get that with a with a comedy. They they rely so heavily on the edit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's man, what a fascinating job that must be. And those are people that don't get recognized really at all. These these people who end up editing the damn thing. And I I, I really admire people. You know, I've heard I've heard Tarantino is one of those directors who who's like I'm going to also help on that front because i know exactly what i want to know where the where i want the cuts to be so like that's a whole another added dimension to your vision is being able to yeah for, of course you like filmed everything but can you make it look exactly right for the audience and such such a unique talent yeah very true love it love it well these last two categories have the exact same three movies so best visual effects and best sound effects editing roger rabbit won both it beat Die Hard and Willow. Hmm. <laughs> isn't that isn't that crazy? Willow's a good one too. That's one I, of those. Yeah, yeah Willow, I like Willow. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's 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 like my blue monkey. That uh, <laughs> is uh, uh so we had it on VHS, right? And uh when it gets to the end scene, those weird monsters that attack yeah. off the village scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Like I was into the movie, I was like, oh, this is fun. And then it's like the movie betrayed me. When he yeah. got to that scene, and I, I got horrified, and like literally to the point that my mom had to turn it off, and she like never watched it again around me because that's how scared I was. Um, so yeah, that's I mean that's God Willow Die Hard and Roger Rabbit. Those, damn. Yeah, nineteen eighty eight. It's a good year. I have not seen Willow. I do have what? to. I know. Didn't you didn't you buy it for me? Yeah, because it's your daughter's name. It was, yeah, it was but more I, of a I, gag I, than anything else. I, I, I've oh, never seen the movie. <laughs> damn it. I thought it was like, a hey, this movie's actually pretty good, and it's your daughter's name. Yeah. Oh, you haven't seen it. you got to see it. You would like Willow. I know I would. I just, I, I have to. Yeah, I, I got to get on that. Um, yeah. To me, Roger Rabbit takes both of these easily. Oh, yeah. No, not even close for me. Yeah. But I do well, think. Kind that, of close. I do Die Hard comes close. Beetlejuice should be in the visual effects. Category. Ah, Good call. Beetlejuice, Ooh. another heavy hitter from 1988. Yeah. What a year. Yeah, great year. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm giving, it, giving these both to, to Roger Rabbit, but I like, okay, so visual effects, Willow comes goddamn close. But then That's fair. Not, That's fair. Yeah, for the sound effects one, Die Hard comes goddamn close, because again, action films, you know, that's yeah. the key thing, so it's like, yeah, close, but I still give it to Roger Rabbit. Well, the fact that Roger Rabbit won a special achievement award for the visual effects and then also visual effects, it's like everyone knew how groundbreaking this was, how impossible this was to do. And, to you know, it still looks incredible. It was on when we did, um, 
think it was was it Ex Machina where we did our top five visual effects winners? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Roger Rabbit was in my list because like I've always loved just the what this film was able to pull off. So I'm glad it was recognized. You know what? When did we do that? Because we did Ex Machina. We did top five sci-fi movies from the 2010s. Oh, shit, when? Right. When did we do visual effects winners? What? When was that? I mean, oh goddamn it! All right, Can't, it, it wasn't that. It wasn't that long ago. I know that. Yeah, it was a pretty recent episode. Uh, looking up my. All right, Oscar Sunday. The riveting part to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always love this. Yeah, we're just doing like personal fucking you know looking back um yeah 1988 man it's a good year you got uh movies we haven't talked about at all uh coming to america dead ringers jurassic park it had to have been jurassic park ah definitely Mm -hmm. was jurassic park yeah yeah okay okay yeah there you go this (laughs) fucking young guns is this year frantic house yes scrooge the great outdoors uh, Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Oh. Let's fucking go. <laughs> There's something a, for everybody. A Nightmare on Elm Street four. Uh, well, okay. Killer clowns from outer space. All right. Cocktail. Let's fucking go. Oh, uh, fucking uh, cocktail. We oh, we remember God. cocktail. Yeah. yeah, I know y'all do. That's why I brought it up. Oh, there's Halloween four. There you go. Uh, I was more happy with Killer Clowns. Actually, like Killer Clowns from outer space. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had to bring them all up. A fish called Wanda. Uh, they live. Yeah, Ooh. good fucking year. crazy, crazy year. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so Roger Rabbit should have been up for best picture, obviously. Yeah, of course. Anything else? Anything else? Well, personally, I mean, I Christopher Lloyd. Uh, yeah, I honestly, I think Bob Hoskins del- delivers a phenomenal performance. I would have had him up for best actor. Okay. Okay. I can get, I can, I can get down on that. You know, this is, these are some tough groups though, my man, you know, um, you get, I mean, if you put, if you're putting Bob Hoskins up, you're either taking out Hoffman, <laughs> Gene Hackman, Tom Hanks, Max von Cito, or Edward James almost. Oof. Tom Hanks in a heartbeat. I love big, but honestly, I don't really get why he's here. For fair big. enough. Fair enough. It, yeah, it's Tom I, Hanks. I, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have not for big. Like, Tom Tom Hanks is better and funnier in The Burbs than he is in Big. Yeah, 100%. Plus, like, as much as I love Big, there I have slight beef with the weird decision on the end to have him sleep with the woman, and then he goes back to being a kid. I'm like, that's yeah. so icky. Yeah. Look me up yeah. in 10 years, eh? Kid I banged? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, biz- fucking bizarre. I tell you what. What about screenplay? Yeah, adapted. Well... I mean, I love the screenplay, but it's as an adapted screenplay, it ignores the book almost entirely. So, like, is it a well adapted screenplay? I don't, I don't know. Interesting. Would you? Here's a question: In 1980, would you put The Shining up for best adapted screenplay? No, no, I would not. Because it shies away from the book so much. Yeah, because that's when you're adapting a, a you know source material. That that's a factor, like including yeah. the source material, crafting that into a screenplay. That's where adapted comes from, you know. That's that's it's not yours. It's you're you're translating someone else's work. Yeah, or or you could look at it as look what they did with this story. Like like there will be blood, much different than oil. You know, they take their liberties with you know with that story. And I think, I think you're you know you're big. I think y'all are both big Stephen King fans. I'm sure you're like, hey, I'd love to see the movie where it's actually like The Shining. 
Well, but we did but, in the nineties. Yeah, okay. nice, I, I, I mean, I mean a Kubrick level movie, um, which you know ain't happening. I, I, I think I like. I think I think I like when a a filmmaker, writer, whatever, whoever it is that's that's doing the writing is like, I think I can make this my own because ultimately what I'm seeing on the screen is really what what matters for these awards for me. Well, I, I don't know. That's I, just kind of where I, I stand. Say- I will say that I'll, don't worry. I'll, I'll let I know Connor is much more when it comes to King. Like they have to follow it to a T because it's already. And I get where he's coming from. I'll let him explain. Don't worry. But <laughs> unlike that, I'm I am honestly more of like you can have your own spin. Like the books, there it exists. It's not going anywhere, unless you know Stephen King decides to not have it be published like Rage anymore. Um, yeah. So you know it's it's there. So as a as a filmmaker. As long as you get the hardest rating tax, I don't mind if you make your own changes and and put your stamp on it. I'm actually cool with that because at the end of the day, it is part of being an artist, having your own take on it, or still keeping the core story intact. Um, but the only reason I say in the case of like the Shining War, that is a case where I want it, more so because it's a known fact that, you know, things like the fact that, you know, Kubrick said, I'm not adapting your thing, I don't believe in your paranormal bullshit, like two kings face. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Fact, the fact that like the core of the story like the heart's really not in there like uh jack much different in the book than he is in the movie like way different not that i'm jack nelson does a fucking great job but um then and it's just like i've always said with that particular adaptation that is that i think it's a terrible stephen king adaptation but it's a fantastic excellent kubrick film okay that's fair Totally fair. Yeah, you're not wrong. Really, like my just my whole thing is is it's pretty selfish. It's just if I've read the book and I enjoyed the book, I want to see the book turned into a movie. That's really yeah. all it is. Like, yeah, I don't like I've never read Oil. I read Who Censored Roger Rabbit like two years ago. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not really didn't come. You know, I, I read The Shining years after I saw the movie. So yeah. it just doesn't factor in unless you know I've got a personal investment in it, and that's you know. That's where it comes from. That's totally fair. So yeah, like there may be winners that you don't, you haven't read the source material and it's way different and you just don't know. Yeah. I, I totally understand that where it's like, this is something that I like. Yeah. I want, I want it to be faithful because I liked the story. Totally get that. That makes sense. Yeah. Now like Shawshank Redemption absolutely would fucking say best, best adapted screenplay nomination. Absolutely. You know what beat it? I believe Forrest Gump. Yeah, I think you're right. It's adapted screenplay. Did it? Yeah. Shawshank should have won that one. But so that so yeah, so that that's what I say. Like I don't I don't mind changes. And I totally I I know I give you a lot of shit, Connor, but I totally get where you're coming from. I just my best friend, you're supposed to give me shit. It's what we do. I know, it's what I do. But with that said, you selfish you selfish prick. Um I don't mind the changes, but yeah, like in the case of like, I'm, I'm very much of line with Connor when it comes to the shining. It's just like Kubrick went such an, in such a different direction with that film. I'm like, it's barely adapted. It is barely adapted. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I like, I like kind of the, you know, what's the point of the category? I think that's a cool, cool conversation. And you're right. Forrest Gump beat Shawshank Redemption. So what, what could have happened at this ceremony? To go back to, you know, go back to Forrest Gump. What could have happened is Pulp Fiction or Shawshank could have won Best Picture. 
Pulp Fiction won Best Original Screenplay, and Shawshank could have won Best Adapted. We could have had this amazing moment of, look at these two movies going toe-to-toe. Maybe in some some circles, and some, you know, uh, I, I think maybe with us, it's an argument at least, maybe, maybe the two best movies from the 90s. It's that kind of a conversation, not just 94. You know, you got Silence of the Lambs in there, I know. You know, there's some heavy hitters, but you could make an argument for Shawshank and Pulp being like maybe the two most important movies from that decade uh, from like a cinephile standpoint. Uh, that's a, that's a cool thought. You know, if they would have really gotten to go toe to toe, but they didn't because Gump stole the show. Well, I've often, you know, said that I believe the Shawshank Redemption to be maybe the greatest film of all time. Like not my favorite, one of my favorites, but in terms of, you know, what that film has to offer, what it's, you know, what it represents, what it means to people it's 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 perfect so i i I believe yeah shawshank's the best film of the 90s i'll I'll back that yeah it's that's such a i love yeah i love jurassic Jurassic park Park as well um it stands tall yeah i get that yep not gonna argue that one yeah i mean there's there there is like connor you brought up the conversation of what's your favorite and then like what is the most important and the best and sometimes, sometimes they align. Sometimes you're like, hey, this is the best and I fucking love it. But there's also sometimes where you're like, my favorite might not be what's, what's, what's liked by everybody and should be liked by everybody. But I, yeah, Jurassic Park's a good one. Sounds of Lambs, Shawshank, Pulp. Um, that's tough. Is there, is there any from the late 90s? I mean, Goodfellas, uh, 19, 1990. I'd, uh, I'd argue uh, the original Scream. Oh, that's a good call. 1996 mm-hmm. Scream. Yep. I mean, The Matrix is a big fucking deal, 1999. Oh, yeah. um, I love that we're having this conversation on a movie from 1988. Yeah, we just forced, forced Gump really uh, stole some thunder here uh, and like created a... And we're, this show's over. Look, the show's, life, the show's over. We, we've done everything we can for Roger Rabbit. We're, we're just bullshitting at this point because we don't want to hang up. You know, We want to keep hanging out and talking about movies. Life is a box of chocolates. You never know where you're going to get, Connor. Okay? Straight up. Straight up. Well, this is what you got. Yeah. this is, You got a 90s conversation. And Connor, who doesn't like to talk about the 90s for a little bit, you know? I'm not complaining. I just find that funny. Oh. Yeah. I was say, I'd argue like because people love the 80s so much and for good reason. 80s was a great decade for film. I, I like to argue that the 90s is incredibly underrated. We need to talk about 90s films more. I agree. I, I like the 90s better uh, than the 80s. Uh, more personal favorites. Most of my favorite filmmakers were like coming into their own during that during that time just because like my age. Uh, you know, like the Coens and Tarantino and Spike Lee and all those kind of guys. Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, you know. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's '90s are great. It's like a hotbed for a lot of stuff I love. Uh, Shawshank was the best one. Lebowski is my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Lebowski is definitely in my top two or three favorite movies from the '90s. You know, of course, mine's Magnolia, but that is not the best movie from that decade. Not even close. Um, I get why people wouldn't enjoy that. Um, yeah, that's I love that. I love that conversation. But you know, 1988 is a good year. I do think there's some 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 heavy hitters and it's a I think it's a bit of an underrated year. When you look at it as a whole, there's a lot to a lot to offer. We're they're obviously getting closer to the 90s where things are changing in the in the industry and uh Roger Rabbit is one of those kind of bridge movies where it's like 
look where we're going, you know? I like I think I think of Jurassic Park in that way too. Like, look, it's kind of scary where we're headed, but it's also really cool. <laughs> you know, uh, the the CGI and what we can do with technology is obviously very freeing and can allow you to do amazing things, but it also can create stuff that is all computer generated. And mm. I think a uh, you know I think a Roger Rabbit and Jurassic Park those bridge movies are are just wicked important to talk about and give the you know give give them their their due like we did today. This was a great episode. Had a lot of fun. Little Zemeckis draft. That's always a good time. Um, we got a big week coming up, though, guys. Big, big week. Um, Wednesday, August 3rd, episode 200 of Filmgasm. Um, this has been going on now for a long time, this, this podcast, obviously. And what better way than to, you know, celebrate a film like Predator, <laughs> you know? Uh, I can't believe we haven't done this movie before already. So it feels right to do it for 200. Connor, I know you were thinking about a bunch of different ideas for episode 200. And I think it's cool that you landed on just a classic movie that fits the protocol, you know, exactly. So can't wait to hear you guys talk about that. Well, amazingly, it just happened that Prey comes out next week. So I just thought like, well, you know, I don't want to go too crazy with it. So why not, you know, do something that's firmly in like the show's roots and talk about a classic, you know, horror sci-fi adventure and maybe the most macho film of all time. In yeah. Predator. And, you know, just embrace that film for, for a 200. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be, going to be cool as shit. All you all you got to say about Predator is Jesse, the body Ventura. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you want more, come back on Wednesday. <laughs> and, and then on Friday, episode 31, Wild Wild West. That's a film uh, Beyond the Bad is going to tackle that I haven't seen in a long time. I I remember liking this movie as a kid, but I probably think of it much differently if I watched it now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you both seen, went. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I've seen it. I remember seeing it as a kid and I liked it, but it never really stuck. If that tells you yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, it, it it came and went. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, after getting out of my comfort zone for last week's episode I thought let's get back into it just for a bit and do something yeah maybe bad it's definitely up more on my alley and you know I wasn't trying to be timely with a certain actor in the film just I, how it kind of happened since someone yeah. was on himself at the Oscars I couldn't so, fucking yeah. believe that the week we go back to, like we go to Will Smith he, he releases an apology video <laughs> like, yeah how beautiful is that it's like he knew he knew he's like oh those fuckers are gonna talk about me so take this stick this in your pipe and smoke it you know that that really and you know we talking about film editing like 20 minutes ago talk about a poorly edited video of will smith apologizing it's like cut ah i'm i'm deeply remorseful cut i made a mistake cut it's like not even it's like did you just read off a cue card and then like do that every you know every few minutes and release it. It was such a weird video, man. It, it, every time something like this happens, especially for like Beyond that, I'm like, God damn it! Like this couldn't <laughs> happen any better. Wasn't my goal. I wasn't trying to time this with the with the fucking show, but you know, here we are, and it's not going to save Will Smith from any possible possible bashing that happens in the episode. No one's safe on Beyond the Bad in these movies. Yes. Correct. Yeah. yeah, no, good, good. 
just you know tear, tear everybody apart you know that's that's the that's the goal you know yes unless uh, you're part of my silver lining then you know you get you you get your praise no mercy yeah uh <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I might rewatch that. I saw the uh, there was a maybe a couple weeks ago. It was on, I think it was on the Sci Fi Channel, and I like watched five minutes of it, and I was like, no, nah, no, I don't want to do this with my Sunday. I think I'm going to do something else. So maybe maybe well, now we'll actually rewatch it. You know, to, it, is, to, it is streaming on HBO Max, so that's perfect. where you can watch it if you want to watch along with us. Is is Predator on something right now? Uh, it is on my Vudu. <laughs> What about? <laughs> I don't give uh, a shit if they can see it. I want you guys to see. It. <laughs> what? What if? What if, wow. the people want, what if the people want to know? You know, the people want to know where Predator is. Let's it's got to be on if, something. I mean, I'm assuming since the new ones on Hulu, I'm assuming yeah, they're all on Hulu. Yeah. Okay. If if you are a physical media person, shout to what I got. You know what? I'll even pull it out. I know they oh, can't let's, see it, but I'll let's show fucking it. see it. Yeah, let's but, see it. You know, there's this beautiful 4K set. And mm. Blu-ray, don't worry, there's also Blu-ray currently if you want to go cheaper. Out Gorgeous. that includes all look at that. All <laughs> of the movies, all the way up to the shitty last installment that will hopefully go away with a new one. And it includes poster cards with a quote from each film. The quote for the new one wasn't the best, but that's not important. Okay, that's it's not that's not important. Yeah, we don't we don't but, we don't talk we don't talk about that one. Yeah. Yeah. So for your physical media guys, get on uh, Amazon.com. And you can fully own that on a, a four disc Blu-ray or four K. If you do the four K, it has the Blu-rays also. I'm just saying. this there video. This podcast is not sponsored by Hulu's Prey. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Oh, uh, it on pretty thick there. Uh, pretty good. Uh, all right. <laughs> I should be a what? goddamn salesman now. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Lastly. I'm super excited. Uh, nobody's listening at this point because we've gone for like two and a half hours. Uh, next week, we're doing a movie I've been wanting to do ever since it came out, even before we had created this podcast. It's going to be just our second Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, the very first episode we ever did was, of course, Pulp Fiction. Now we're going to be doing 2019's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Was up for some stuff at the 92nd Academy Awards, including a win for Mr. Brad Pitt, Best Supporting Actor. The reason we're doing this is because I love that movie. Connor loves that movie. But Brad Pitt's new movie, Bullet Train, is out next weekend. And that looks super exciting. So we wanted to kind of, you know, throw some love towards towards Brad Pitt. I think one of the best actors we have right now. Um, and looks like a guy that would just be super fun to hang out with. And I've always respected him. So we're going to be doing a top five Brad Pitt performances next week. While also talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I cannot wait. So follow us on. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Filmgasm, and keep fucking watching movies.